G'day podcast listeners, we are back with a special Foresight Super Series. This is season one and we're going to catch up and interview a few of the Foresight sponsored team members. Foresight Epitalis Fort is a revolutionary daily joint supplement for horses and is powered by Innerpath's exclusive active ingredient Epitalis. Endorsed by veterinarians and veterinary surgeons, Foresight is backed by world-class research and development and offers a money-back guarantee. Foresight Epitalis Fort is safe to take long-term and is a feed additive used to help maintain suppleness and willingness to perform, support for joint function and joint health, support healthy joints in high-performance animals, provide nutritional support after the joint injury or surgery. Welcome to our second episode in our Foresight Rider series. If you haven't already listened to the first episode with Jim and Linda McCullum, make sure you go back and check this out. The feedback so far has been great. A lot of people have drawn a lot of inspiration from this episode. And please also keep the feedback coming. We love hearing from our listeners. It's hard when you record these episodes alone. You can't engage with your audience to see how they perceive. So please share, rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us greatly. Our guest on this episode is none other than Hugh Miles, another great foresight trainer, writer, and competitor. As you will hear, I was pretty excited to do this interview as I've had a bit of a man crush on Hugh for quite some time. Hugh has accomplished so much in such a short amount of time, and there really is no ceiling on what Hugh can and will achieve in his lifetime. You will also hear that there's a lot more to Hugh than meets the eye. Plus, we will also find out and confirm once and for all whether Hugh is a mummy's boy. Without further ado, let's cut straight into it. All right, Huey, the first question, we know you're a successful trainer and a competitor and all the rest of it, but we don't care about that right now. Mm-hmm. We, we're known for doing conversation starters, and this is a conversation starter. Outside the equestrian field, what sporting achievement are you most proud of? So can't be anything horse-related. We want to hear if you played cricket, backyard, doesn't matter, whatever. What What's something that comes to mind? Oh, probably when I was at school, I played a lot of rugby and a lot of rep rugby. Played um, Central North and a lot of country and... Uh, yeah, and then first 15 and stuff when I was at Taz. So, um, uh, yeah, we the year I was in the first 15, we had a pretty good team and we had a lot of boys a lot of boys were in the country team and made New South Wales and um, yeah, we had some um, had some really good some really good guys. We won the we won the um, premiership here in Tamworth and then we also played a lot of games against like Joey's and Shaw and Sydney High and and schools like that and and um, yeah, we we won against you know teams like Joey's in we played in met them in Scone for the Curtain Razor the final one year and we beat them there and there's like Curtly Bill in that in that that year and so yeah it was that was probably one of our biggest so we should probably I probably should have pursued it a bit more but it anyway sounds like I was expecting something pretty minor <laughs> yeah Lin- Linda didn't have much of a sporting story or some something about boating somewhere but we'll have to listen back to that one and you've come up with actually a genuine <laughs> yeah. rugby rep. Yeah, I had um, I had actually got a scholarship to go to Sydney University after school to play rugby, and um, anyway, I decided to want to go to America and ride horses, and anyway, the rest is history. But yeah, I um, I just didn't have the time. I didn't want to go to Sydney and have to live down there and study. And I thought oh, I just got twelve years of school. I've just I didn't really want to keep studying, so I didn't really want to. I just want to stay in the bush. But anyway, well, we're gonna get we're gonna get into the the junior years, but we're gonna. 
I'm just going to confess something first because you wouldn't know about this and I've written it down in my notes. But I actually, you know, well, still really do have a bit of a man crush on Huey Miles and, and it goes back to 2009. <laughs> you would have no idea about this, but I was actually the first year Dan and I started um, in the East Coast performing was in 2009 and I went to the Stockhorse Nationals in Scone and you weren't showing there, we were showing, but then you came down there and was camp drafting. And I've seen this guy and you're warming up and your horses just look different to all the other sort of stock horses there. They're getting stopped and the heads are in good positions they're getting turned around and i was looking going who's this fella and i'm looking over there and i don't know 2009 how young you would have actually been yeah i think it was about 19 i suppose yeah so so a a young huey miles and and then someone had said that was huey and then i also remembered i thought i like that style and that's what that's what i got to learn that sort of style and then i also remembered and you can correct me if i'm wrong but then i remembered from back in little old wa you were on the front cover of the Stockhorse magazine for winning at Sydney Royal Junior Judging. Is that right? That's it. That'll be that photo up there behind us on the wall. Oh, we've got to use that one for the socials. It's on the, it's on the other side of the fireplace there. So. Oh, and there's another little photo here from there. So that's the Stockhorse mag- Yeah, so I remember that magazine. I, I thought at the time they must have photoshopped those eyebrows on you, though. Because yeah. I was like, they got John Howard's eyebrows. <laughs> oh, no, they're still getting they're getting. Uh, Getting more rampant as I get older. They're out of control. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought I'd better just start straight off the bat with just confessing the man crush there. So if any of these questions get weird, you're going to know where they come from. You're right. I'll be all over it. All over it. So the, the next thing I want us just to talk about or just tell us a little bit about your place here because you're in a beautiful spot in Dungowan and, and it's, again, we come up and visit a little bit, whether it's breeding mares or riding with you or whatever it might be, uh, but it is a great spot. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about home? Yeah, no. It, here is a here is a beautiful spot. We got uh, five hundred acres on the Peel River, and it's about uh, about three k's of river frontage. Um, so, yeah, we've got um, yeah, we've got quite a fair few like flats that we make hay out of, and um, you know, we it's where all the young horses grow out, and uh, when the foals get weaned and brood mares, they all run down on the flats on other and loosen or you know, rye or pasture paddocks or whatever, and. Yeah, it is quite nice. With have always got this, the river's always flowing, even through the drought. It, it always flew, it like it never stopped because we've had Chaffee Dam above us. But yeah, it's a really nice valley. It's very um, we're protected a bit from the western sun, so in the summertime, it's not as quite as hot here as it can be on the other side of town. But it's been um, yeah, it's been a great place to grow up, and it's um, yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world here for sure. Everyone that comes up here is like, oh, this valley's beautiful up this valley isn't it you know like it's very productive and fertile and um yeah it's also quite quiet on this back dirt road it's pretty good you're not not a bitumen road running through it so yeah well you seem like you're quite secluded but at the same time you're what 20 minutes from town yeah yeah that's all we are 20 minutes here in town so yeah you can and it's not too far to the alec you know from here you can head across to the highway and straight down the highway into town and yeah 20 minutes really you're in the in the center of town from here it's really good and then how many acres all up do you have yeah, about 500, 520 something, and we've got quite a big water license. Not that we've had to use it lately, but um, big irrigation license, which is good. If we ever get dry, we can irrigate and, um, yeah, we can pump to make hay or, or do whatever. But, yeah, we've got it, – it is good. It's quite productive. I make all my own hay here for cattle, for horses, um, sell a little bit, but most of the time it's just, it's just for myself um, and anything that's um, – any extra we get we'll sell, but um, – yeah, I've got quite a bit in it at the moment. At the moment, we've we got hay down, and um, yeah, it's been a bit of a tricky year to be making it at the minute. But hopefully, the next few weeks we'll start to get a few 
clean cuts and start making some good horse hay. Yeah, well, I just wanted the listeners to sort of know because sometimes, again, a bit like when I first saw you competing at Scone, is you just look and think, well, you'd just be flat out riding horses and competing, but then you're running a big operation here as well because you've got your, your stallions that you're standing, your brood mares. You yeah, know, it'd be pretty flat out, I'd imagine. Yeah, no, every day is flat out. Um, you know, we, um, yeah, the guys, it's always something different. I mean, we're always, first thing in the morning is always, a, you know, feed up and obviously the girls catch horses and put them on a walker but I might spend the first hour of the day two hours of the day organizing the other guys I got one guy here full-time at the minute been fencing and spraying and um, another guy here's been working country up to replant um, to put more loosen in and some uh, sorghum and stuff so just the logistics of trying to organize everybody and you know and organize with if we're fencing just materials or chemicals and spraying and seed and for you know it's not just Riding horses, there's yeah, there's a lot more goes into it than than just the horses. That's probably only about that's about fifty percent of it, you know. And then how many stallions are you standing at the moment? Uh, we've got one, three, three here at the minute. Yeah, and uh, Raja Guard has gone to town. He stands in town there now because he keeps that busy. We were going back and forwards with him every day, and um, these guys are a bit. These guys are the same, but Jack and um. Smooth Talker of Willingas, they they um I've been competing on them, so it's easiest to have them home. And when they need to go to town, we send them to town to get collected, and they ship from there. Yep. We have some mares come and stand. Uh, some mares come to be be bred here as well. And uh, Tim usually comes every second or third day, so we're catching mares and recips and mares and foals and stuff for him. Generally, try to get them to come of an afternoon, so we can try to get the horses worked before. You know, and get get them out of the road, and then in the afternoon, do a few other jobs around the place. So, how many horses in this busy time of breeding, and then obviously nutrient sales coming up? How many horses are you trying to ride at the minute? Oh, it. I try to ride as many as I can because um, there's always there's always plenty to ride. But uh, you know, most days, uh, most days we're probably riding. I might ride. Um, Today, for example, I think I rode. Oh, seven. I rode. I might have rode somewhere like that, fifteen to eighteen or something like that. Then Jeremy, that's here. Uh, he did. He's got a few breakers and a few, couple of two-year-olds as well. So I think he did about eight or something like that. So you know, we might have done twenty-five or something like that for the day. But that's a that's not a big day by any means at all. That's a. Um, we should, I should be, we should be punching out more, but um, that's just with doing everything else. It's sort of all allows at the moment, you know. Well, that sounds that sounds like enough for me. Uh, certainly for me, I like sleeping in, so it wouldn't work that well. I'm going to go back, and I want to know about Little Hugh. Uh, where, where did it all start? When did you start riding? Oh well, it all started here for sure. Um, I started out with a little pony called Silver that uh, Mum and Dad bought. That. Uh, they bought for me to ride because they well they went and have a look at it and they actually felt sorry for it. They so they bought it because it was living in a pigsty with pigs and in in and out of this lady's house. So they bought it. They didn't even know it was broken in. They brought it home and I think it was about four or five or something like that. They brought it home and gave it to me and we saddled up and you know bucked the house down and they threw me on it and it bucked me off nearly every day. Anyway, they got we we turfed her out the paddock and. They got me an old quiet pony and I rode it for a while and a few years later and I got to ride a bit better. I got old silver back in and 
I gave it to her a bit then. <laughs> you got it sorted? I got it sorted. I thought I was going to be a bronc rider for a bit. But, um, yeah, they just started here. Mum and Dad had horses and they bred a few and did a bit of stock horse stuff. But, um, you know, back then it was a lot of ex-thoroughbred mares getting bred to stock horses or we had a stay in here called Red Oak and they were all ex-polo mares or thoroughbred mares and that 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 had been given. So I cut my teeth on those things and, I mean, that was – yeah, if that didn't put me off horses, I don't think anything was going to – So then when did you start showing and what did you start showing in? Uh, well, started out in the st- doing the stock or stuff, but I did do pony club for quite a while, which is at the time I – you know, I didn't like it. Pony club was, um, you know, wasn't cool to have to wear jodhpurs and, and uh, you know, work out diagonals and do dressage and show jumping and, and all that stuff. But I think it was it was, re- it was a very good thing for me too. At the same time, that's where I sort of started to learn to compete. Um, you know, I started competing, competing in the, um, you know, that's just where you learn to, you know, handle defeat learn how to win, you know, how to think through situations and stuff like that. So the Pony Club was a very, not only that, just in life, I guess, but it, it helped, it helped, uh, you know, just, uh, I guess, yes, yeah, how to handle situations. And, and by the time I got to that, started to draft and stuff like that, competition wasn't such a big thing. You learn to handle your nerve and learn to handle, yeah, getting beaten and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it was a pony club was a very good, you know, it was a good thing. I went to Nundle Pony Club just up the road up here and went there every year and, um, you know, yeah, it was it was a really, you know, I did the school horse sports and all that sort of stuff and started out doing that, then branched out into the stock horse stuff um, when I thought the pony club wasn't cool enough and I didn't want to wear jodhpurs anymore, so I'd start doing a bit of stock horse stuff. and Got the mold skins. In the yeah, skin. I got the mold skins. <laughs> the mold Not skins much of a step up, mate. Nah, it was just more a bit like adults pony club, really. Um, we are still leading them and feeding them and the horses weren't that, weren't that good, but oh, I had to deal with some very hot – I had some hot horses and if that didn't – yeah, if that didn't put me off, I don't know what – nothing would have, yeah. So I'd started out there and then, then – um, Got into the drafting probably in my teens, really. I think it was about 14 or 15 before I really started drafting. Yeah, so – and that was through those same horses, though? Is that what you started on is more – Yeah, a couple of those ones, a couple of a couple of mares that I was doing the stock horse stuff and that on, then I took them drafting, but soon worked out they weren't much good for what I wanted, you know. Um, and then I uh, had Conductor. Um, conductor was sitting here in the paddock, and so I decided I want to get him and – give him a whirl one day and I rigged up a mechanical cow with a, out of an old um, push bike and a polished styrofoam box, yep. put the box on the on the on on it and it was a pretty wild set up but I worked him on that for a bit and, and I used to have mates come home from school and make them pedal for me. <laughs> and um, But yeah, and then started doing a few drafts. I had conductor and I had a really good Acres mare called Acres of Oak. That's uh, her there actually. And... Um, yeah, I had her and Conductor, they were the two main ones. And another another mare called Jasmine was a red oak mare that I drafted for a bit. And then I guess I figured then I started getting into better bred horses and get client horses and and um, get into those horses and started training them more through, you know, for drafting and through the carting and stuff like that. Worked out how I wanted my horses to be. So let, let's go back to Conductor. How old was Conductor when you started putting him on your so-called mechanical cow? Oh, I reckon he would have been about six or seven, somewhere around there. But he'd um, 
Duncan Steelpark when he was here in Australia, he uh, he had him and he didn't go to the karting or anything like that on him, but he'd done a few challenges and he'd taken him to, you know, I think like the Rocky Rush and to Konkari and a few of those challenges. And then when he left, he just was, he was just sitting here in the paddock going like he had probably a couple of years in the paddock and I was like, well, I'm going to. I'm gonna have a crack at him, you yeah. Know? So anyway, so I got him in, and yeah, gave, drafted him, and yeah, we sort of pretty much just started together, to be honest. Yeah. And, and then, what age were you then? If he was six or seven, how old? Oh, now you're testing me. But he's, uh, well, he's about he'd be about twenty four now, and I'm thirty three. So I don't know. You must. I was gonna say you must be better at math. So if you, yeah. Took 18 off that. You're not very old when you started riding him. No, no, no. I was only in my teens. Like, I would have only been. I reckon my first draft we went to, I would have been. I was just in the juveniles. I never drafted in junior drafts. Like, I never, you know, everywhere, you know, most kids start out in the juniors where they have one beast in the yard. My first draft I went to was actually Gressford. And uh, I won the juvenile on Jasmine, the Red Oak Mare. And I was second on conductor. Uh, and, um, yeah, but, yeah, that was – I reckon that was the first route, like, when I first really started, we loaded up and went down to Gressford and we had to sort of go to places where mum and dad had friends because we didn't have anywhere to camp in the truck or anything like that, so we'd stay with stay with them in the house, you know, so we'd we'd go to plan where we're going so we got somewhere to stay, you know, so it was a pretty wild setup. We had an old stock crate and – it was a bit of a wild setup back those days, you know. Not like we do it now. Yeah, you, you've got one of the biggest rigs going around yeah, now. So well, I remember those days. And then when I started, when I got my truck license, you know, I started going and I was swagging it, you know. You wake up in the morning and you'd put your foot down in a bit of bit of horse shit still in the back of the trailer and in the back of the truck. and, and Got the, that nice manure smell in, yeah. all, your, in all your clothes. Yeah, and then you, you'd have all the hay stacked in the back of the truck and you put your clothes up on it but all the the if you had a heavy dew that night your clothes would be that wet and your bags that wet it was just the pits you know then they'd be you'd hear them singing out the draft starting at six o'clock in the morning and you're laying in bed you don't want to get out of your swag because everything's just wet you know when i was graduated to put a roof on the truck you get the condensation dripping down. <laughs> waking you up. Waking you up, you know, and you're just like, oh, I want to get out of here because but now when you've got a good setup, you know, it's a bit easy to wake up. And it's good for up. listeners to hear because a lot of times too, you know, you've got a big brand and you're well known and you do, you're one of the biggest, you know, especially in this area, one of the biggest rigs pull in and it's easy for someone to go, oh, well, it's easy for, for Hugh because he's a, he's got all that stuff. You know, that's, that's a perception. It's just mm-hmm. like you are young, you've had it for a long time. And it's easy to think, oh, well, he's given all of that. Yeah. And, no, no, definitely but, not. But then to hear that you actually worked for everything that, you, that you've got. Yeah, I know. That old Izusa dual cab that we started with, she was an old banger. You'd see, you'd start heading her at the Moonbees. You'd dread going to any drafts <laughs> up the Moonbees because you'd, like, it's going to be a long trip going up the Moonbees. No aircon. Yep. But, um, yeah. But the other Dan has a similar story because when you talked about your first pony, he. Didn't his parents wanted him to ride bad, and, and he had they had station horses, and none of them were quiet enough for him. So then they decided, I oh, will try to get him a, a pony. But he'd been bucked off all these horses; he didn't want to ride. And his mum was looking for a pony, and he was sitting in the back of the car, and she's driving down some street, and someone had a sign up, 
saying pony for sale and he's reading a comic book in the back seat like he's driving Miss Daisy and his mum yells out to him, do you want to go and have a look at this pony? He doesn't even answer it. just keeps his head in this magazine and she talks to herself trying to get him to get a bit excited and she says, well, I might go and check this pony out and so she does a U-turn and she drives in there thinking, well, maybe when we get there he might show a bit of interest. Doesn't get out of the back seat. He just stays in there reading his comic book. She gets out, be polite, looks at the pony, looks back at the car. It still <laughs> doesn't still show. Me. So then she gets in the car and she thinks, complete waste of time. They drive down the road and then he says to his mum, he says, if you buy that pony, I'll write. So he must have been looking out the window and watching this pony, but he didn't want to admit it. So she went back and bought it, but they didn't have a float or gear or anything and go to pony club. He wasn't that good of a rider. So she would lead the pony out of the car to pony club. He would sit in the car and then he would ride at pony club and then she'd lead it back. And then she said when he got a little bit better at riding, he would ride to pony club, she would follow in the car and then they'd do that on the way home. And then she said when they saved up a bit of money, they got some old Bedford truck and only had three speed. And she said going flat out on the highway on flat, it would do 60. So going up something like the Moonbees or any hills, yeah, it, it was going backwards. And so Dan said they'd go to an event; it might be three hours away, and it'd take him eight. Yeah, it was ridiculous. But that's that's the way they started. And he actually started through Pony Club and eventing, and you know, it's done a full circle now. To you know, he's into his cowboy stuff. But very very similar story where it's very humble beginnings. Yeah. Well, uh, after that, so after I had the, I got the. Uh, I eventually graduated an old caravan. Put the caravan behind the truck. Thought this will be good. And the proper flash. Yeah. So I was one of those, was it a Viscount caravans or a Viscount caravan? And this yep. is the first trip I ever went to Concari. I know with this podcast we got long enough to tell this yarn. Well, actually, it's already on my spreadsheet, so you, I'm glad you're telling because I was going to ask you about it. Oh, you've heard about this trip. Yeah, but I want the listeners to hear about it. Yeah, right. Troy enjoys telling us about it. I, uh, this was the... This is my first trip, sort of like finished school. I'd been to the States, I'd worked over there, I'd went and anyway, I'd come back, had my mare all trained up. I'd been with Bob Avler and Todd Crawford over there and I thought, I was going to Concurry, I thought this will be pretty good. Never been there before, you know. Go to Dolby to the camp draft the weekend before and Troy Palmer's travelling with us. He'd, he was going as well, so we're travelling together, Dad and I and, and Troy and we get to, we just get out of Roma on the way to Concari the morning after Dolby Draft, and the tow ball snaps between the truck and the caravan, and she's bouncing down the road on the chains. Caravan's just swinging, you know. Yep. Pull over. Farmer comes out that's close by. He comes out, gets a tow ball. I think he pulled it off his Toyota and said, here, get this, put this on to get you going. So we keep going a bit further. We get to Mitchell at breakfast. We get to Mitchell and we got inside the inside back tyres flat. So anyway, we had to wait then for the tyre shop to open. So we get the tyre fixed in Mitchell. We go about another hour down the road and we're between Morven and Augathella. Anyway. Cruise along, you know, nothing. The next thing we hear on the two-way, hey, mate, your caravan's come off. <laughs> not again. And we're like, you're kidding, not again. Well, this, he's gone around, gone around the corner, gone around this bit of a sweeping bend left and the caravan's just 
just going straight across the road, across the incoming trap, like the traffic coming the other way. Lucky there was nothing coming. And then ended up just pulled up into like a big gravel heap on the side of the road. And the A-frame, the new tow ball was too good. <laughs> it kept a hold of it. <laughs> it kept the whole A-frame, ripped the whole A-frame out from under the caravan. So it's just pulled the whole guts of the whole – so it's the caravan's just sliding along on its nose and the gas bottles are still sitting in there like in the in their um, – yeah, like in those holes in the mounts on the front of the A-frame and they're just bouncing on the bitumen sparks flying <laughs> and thought this thing's going to blow up for sure. Anyway, we get down and pull up, throw the A-frame off, the gas bottles are in it and throw them off the side of the road. We go back. What are we going to do? And I was like, we just need to go home. I was like, this is this is a bad sign. If we, if we go any further, we're going to get killed. You know. Yeah. So anyway, we're on the side of the road. There. This is about only about 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. We get to uh, – we sit there and we pull all the horses off and tie them up to these little trees around the place and there's nothing there, barely any phone service. Like back then, phone service, you get, you'd be lucky to get – you know, a bar in the middle of Tamworth, let alone yeah. between Morven and Orgothella. Anyway, so we, we wait there and someone comes by and tells us there's a good guy in Charleville can well drill it. You know, he's a good boilermaker with Charleville. So anyway, we managed to get a hold of him. We walked up to this top of this hill and we rang him. Anyway, and he said, yeah, I can be there, but I won't get there till tonight sometime. So anyway, we carted the horses into Orgothella, the showgrounds, and we go back out and old mate gets out there at about 8 o'clock at night. It starts welding up. He doesn't finish welding up this new A-frame underneath the trailer until he put a complete new A-frame underneath it. He didn't finish welding it up until oh, it was probably about 1 o'clock in the morning. So anyway, we get it welded up. It's all in. We get to Augustella. Get going early the next morning. We get to Tambo. We've walked out from having breakfast. We thought, oh, we're going good, you know. We're going good. <laughs> We're walking out from having breakfast and Troy's fuel tank is hanging. The straps are broken, one of the straps, and it's just hanging like the fuel tank's only just not touching the bitumen. So we had to get that fixed. So we're there, but don't we go and get fine. There was no straps yep. in Tambo, so then we had to get a fellow to make them up. And we're like, Con Curry starts. We had to be there the next day for vet check and all that sort of stuff. We're like, this is, we're not going to be lucky to get there. Anyway, we get to Winton that night. Nothing else goes wrong between Tambo and Winton. We get up early the next morning, like oh, four o'clock, to head out because it's about four hours from there to Concari. Anyway, we've headed out. We're going just just putting it was still dark. Anyway, Troy's left his trailer brakes on. He had like a trailer that he pulled behind his horse truck. It was like a four or five horse trailer. He's left the trailer brakes on. And he's bottomed out all the tyres, like completely <laughs> to the bottom. So then the tyre guy in Winton, he doesn't open till like 8.30, 9 o'clock. So then we've loaded up at like 4.35. Yep. So we've got to sit around and wait. We had to sit around and wait for them to open. We never got to Concurry till about 3 or 4 that afternoon. We were just like, this is just ridiculous. Anyway, we get there, get through all the vet check and everything like that. And anyway, and um, well, I got through the vet check. Troy's taken his horse to get vet checked, and it's too old. So he's carted a horse all the way, and it's not even the right age. It's too old. 
Yeah, and they so he couldn't even put it in the challenge. Yeah, and they don't have it like now. They've got a derby <laughs> and open challenge, but then it was just the classic. Yeah, it was wasn't just it? that was it. So it was he had took a five year old horse up there, which he thought it was for. So he drove all that way for nothing. <laughs> he would have been impressed too. Oh, he, he was real happy. Oh, he was probably a bit. He was probably he was less impressed with the lady who bought the horse off because she told him it was four. Told him it was four or something. The wires got crossed or whatever, but. Yeah, and then the following year. So what did you remember what the actual year was? Yeah, 2008. So that's your first time. Where, where did you finish up that? Uh, second. Wow. Yeah, second that year. One more daddy. It was one more daddy's year, so it was a pretty, <laughs> yeah. pretty hard year to win that. He was um, – Yeah, he was flying. Oh, he was, I don't think I've ever seen a challenge horse like him. I don't know if we ever will. Really? You know, he was – that horse was phenomenal. You know, like he was – yeah, that horse could – he was a massive stopping horse. He could, you know, Cameron's a perfectionist. He had him. I don't think there'll ever be it. He'd be lucky to see. We'd be lucky to see another challenge horse like one more daddy. That's for sure. Wow. He was so, yeah, it was a pretty hard year to be going up there, but to get second to him was. And who were you riding? A mare called Dreamtime. So she was out of an acres mare by old conductor. Um, so she was like a full sister to Wishes and that, that I drafted. And anyway, she later become, like, she won opens and become a pretty good mare. But yeah, I just did that. Did that one challenge on her and, yeah, so it was it was really good to go and, yeah, just a bit unlucky to draw the year of one more daddy though. Well, then you, you forgot to – you didn't tell the part about the gas bottles. What happened to the gas bottles? Oh, the gas bottles, yeah. <laughs> well, while we're up on the side of the road. Looking at your and caravan. I was, look, yeah, we're looking at the caravan and I was I was pretty ravable to say the least, you know. Like I wasn't real happy about the whole situation all. I was like, we just need to go home, you know. Anyway, and Brendan Fitzgerald actually said to said to us when we'd been talking to him because we stayed at his place the night before. We're telling him about, you know, when the toe ball snapped and then the flat tyres, and and he kept saying to us, "Well, that's the worst happen. Worst thing that happens today it won't be a bad day." Yeah, yeah, I hate that. Yeah. We got we were so sick of this same by the end. Of, well, that's the worst thing that happens today. It won't be a bad day. Yeah. So I guess things always could be worse. But um, you were up there on the side of the road. I'm looking down the road and this. Toyota just drove past and I said stop I'm looking down the road there like about 500 metres down the straight these masters have pulled over grabbed the gas bottles out of the A-frame and thrown them in the back of the ute take off I'm running down the road yelling and cursing I was like like I was it was just (laughs) you wanted to catch them oh I was that wild but I couldn't believe someone had even just seen the gas bottles on the side they didn't stop to ask you guys if you needed no they didn't stop to see if we needed a hand they didn't offer to bring it back to us or anything like that that it was in the the weird part like it wasn't right on the edge of the road it was down like there was a bit of a there was a fairly steep shoulder on the side of the road like they were down in the grass anyway yeah that was wild they just pulled up pulled them out I couldn't believe it like so then we had no A-frame and no gas bottles like we were the following year went to Concurry though. The the actual the caravan never made it home. So old mate made the still made the A frame that good. <laughs> Pulled the axles out. No. The actually the caravan snapped oh. in half over <laughs> the axles. So like the back of it, we're between Winton and and uh it actually started on the way up there because we get we get to Concurry and the caravan door wouldn't shut like this is weird but like there was a big gap oh. and it gone out of square like this is a bit this is all weird it was a bit out of, like the whole door the frame yeah. went Stretched out of square it. yeah there was a big gap at like at the top in the top corner you know 
like this is this is weird. Anyway, we're going to coming home. We're coming in long reach, and you could see these sparks in the in the back of the in the mirror of the old Isuzu. You could see these anyway. Like we're just going to get to the you know they used to have those, those rails that run up the back, and then they got the back of the caravan and like your spare tires hang on yep, the back yep. of the caravan there. Well, they were dragging on the ground, and the whole caravan would actually turn in like a banana. Yep. Like it was straight in front of the axle to the to the uh, ready to let go. And it was just everything, all the frame had just pulled. So by the time we got to, by the time we got to Longreach, like it, this thing was just like an absolute banana. Like you couldn't, it wouldn't have made it to, wouldn't have made it back to Barcall and it would have absolutely snapped in two. So we just pulled all the gear out of it, pulled everything out of it that was in it, that we threw it in the dual cab of the, of the old Isuzu, threw it all in the back seats, everything where we could throw anything, blankets, cutlery, whatever, just left it there. She never came home. <laughs> no more caravan. No, on the no trunk. more caravan. I never went. I've never known another one since. Well, it's probably a good ad for Air Glide because that's what the reason why they created those Air Glides because yeah, those yeah. rigid trucks were just eating caravans. Yeah, no, this was a this was a pretty wild setup. It had like a spring, like a trailer spring. It was sitting on, but it was no Air Glide. I can tell you, <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. So, what year? That's your next year, Cloncurry. Which that was, was the following year. So that must have been two thousand nine. It was that million like chicks year. No, no, I reckon he was 2011. 2009, uh, 2009, I reckon was the year that I had uh, copyright. Mayor of Terry and Chris, he's a con man mayor. Um, God, it's got to be one of the youngest. Yeah, I reckon she was, I reckon she was, I was third or fourth on copyright that year at Concurry. I reckon that was the second year I went, yeah. And then... We sort of got a bit off the timeline, but we're going to stick with it because you, you've done that. Did you go back every year or did you have a break? No, I did go. I did go the uh, – I went the following year. Uh, I'm just trying to think what I had that following year. I had a mare called Copycat of Terry and Christie's that year, a con man mare out of Chesney. I didn't have any luck on her, but then I had a mare called Playmate which was a sister like River Queen and Acres of Oak who was by conductor out of a uh, Freckles Oak man and ended up placing on her, I think, it, like like I reckon we were about third or fourth again or something like that. Uh, and then the following year was Millionix year, I reckon. So then, so that's obviously, again, spoiler alert, you win on Millionic Chick. Was that always the plan? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when I bought him and that was, uh, he never went... Just because of the age, you know, between importing horses and the cutting age here, they're about six months behind. So that was pretty made it hard. So what? So you went to the states to pick him out. What were you looking for? Uh, wanted, I guess, just a horse more for the Australian market for the camp draft, a bit more of an outcross. Uh, you know, horse with a bit of size, type. You know, all the stuff that the camp drafters, you know, we look for in a camp draft horse. You know. And and how old was he when you bought him over there? He was only yearling. Um, I went and looked at, uh, oh, it's about 120 colts at Babcock Ranch. Yep. And he's got specific cow horse, you know, down the fence breeding. Yep. Is, is that what you thought for camp drafting? That was just an, <coughs> an additional? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we just knew how versatile um, Smart Chicolina was. And, I mean, he he went cutting. Then they took him raining after that. Yeah. He won a world uh, open cutting title at the AQHA 
he won the open reigning there a few years later. Um, so yeah, that you know, something versatile like that, I think was definitely what we were after. Yeah. So you, <coughs> so you, you, you bring him back and then he's only yearling and then you, you've got your idea is Cloncurry is going to be, is that right, his first show? Yeah, yeah, that was his first one. Just purely too because of his age, it was a bit hard to, it was a bit hard to, um, you know, to go anywhere because he didn't really, you know, other than the odd draft. But leading up that time of the year, there's not a lot of drafts on in through the winter here. So that was his first draft as well. Um, I had a mate start him. He started him over there for me because he had to wait over there a couple of months for all his shots and everything to kick in. So one of the guys I worked with at Bob Avler's. <laughs> Contagious. Mm. One of the blokes I worked with at Bob Avler, um, Christian Libert, he's now a cow horse guy over there and he's in Gainesville and he does, you know, he does pretty well. And um, he just moved back to Gainesville. Um, so I asked him to go pick him up. He actually was... He actually didn't even need to start the truck up to go pick him up. He was right across the road. So he just walked over and pulled, grabbed me out of the stall and walked him home. And he broke him in for me and started him and kept him there and went through all the shots and all that sort of stuff. And um, and then, yeah, once he um, – so he broke him in and started him for me and then once he came out here, I was able to just keep going on him. Yeah, so with that preparation, because I think I remember seeing some photos, like you you thought you were going to be one of these double dens, didn't you ride him like – bareback and no bridle it was like a bit of a photo shoot or something like yeah, that yeah 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 i thought i was gonna be for a bit but i worked <laughs> out I've, my talent ran out there that's so stop it and uh, we know you would have been successful no matter what you did but but then so you got him and you you really wanted to work on looked like to me that reigning cow horse like he was he was again looked more broke was one more daddy was that in your mind like yeah yeah absolutely um yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I'd already bought him. What year I bought him? I think I bought him in two thousand and end of two thousand and eight. So, uh, yeah, that was not long after. Yeah, not long after Daddy went. Um, so yeah, oh, that's what. I, yeah, with the intention of doing that and trying to do the challenges and then draft him and and um. So yeah, that was, and he was out of it. So he was out of a Ramanick mare that was a full sister, a really good reigning horse called Mister Montananick, um, who represented America in the equestrian games and stuff. Um, and then his grandmother was a full sister of a mare that won the Futurity, um, Millie Montana back like in nineteen ninety. Um, so he was bred to really go anyway. Um, I guess if I was probably wasn't really into the cutting then. Uh, I guess if I was, I probably would have pushed him to go that way, you know. Um, but, yeah, I wasn't sort of in that space then, so I just sort of stuck to what I knew a bit more of, you know. Well, that challenges. So then you take him up to Cloncurry, I'm guessing no caravan? No, I reckon then. I'm trying to think what I had then. I had yeah. a, I ended up, I bought a single axle Mac Premium. That um, and then I bought a thirty, I reckon it was about a thirty-three foot Pantech trailer, and I cut the top off it. I started trying to, I started trying to build it, and uh, anyway, I've cut the Pantech off the top of it because those Pantechs have got no, they've got no chassis. The whole front just fell on the ground. <laughs> So I got the grinder out and I'm cutting away and I thought, oh, I bought this stock crate. 
I thought I'll put the crate on it. It had a bit of a living area in it, and then I'll just extend it. I'll, and it had a hydraulic tailgate, and I'll extend the crate. It had a nine-foot living area in it at the front of this crate that I bought from a fella at Bundara. It all it had was a little shower in the front and a little sink, and that was it. Put us had a swing outdoor with a bed on the back of it, like everyone used to sort of have then, you know. And anyway, then I put the crate on, the, the plants put the crate on, and then just extend the crate, you know, five or six foot or whatever, put a couple of bows in it. Anyway, I'm cutting the I'm cutting this Pantech. This is out like I was just knew nothing, but I bought this trailer for like five thousand dollars, and I bought the crate for about the same. So I thought I'm going to have this U-boot set up for twenty grand. Yeah, well, anyway, ten, ten grand, and then another ten to probably put yeah, together. I thought I'm going to be a genius, you know. Anyway, I've got taken the angle grinder, this Pantech. I've gone around the whole way around it, like cutting the inside and outside, and I've got the forks of the tractor, and I've pushed her off. Thought this is all you know. This is awesome, and then the, once it fell off, the front in front of the in front of the legs just flopped on the ground. <laughs> so the whole front of the trailer is just dead set, like just because there's nothing. There's no chassis under it. It's all up the top. Tell you what, I learned a few things, <laughs> like trying to trying Sound, to do you, things yeah. here. People got no idea what the things I started out with. You sound about as mechanical as me. That's something oh, Anyway, I had to ring this engineer guy and he came out and welded a chassis up. He's looking, he's like, God, you've got a bit on here, boy. Like, he's <laughs> like, holy smokes, you've got a bit going on here. It's going to cost you a bit more than yeah. you thought. And it was, yeah. So anyway, I had it for a few years. Anyway, I had a guy put boxes underneath it and, oh. All they did was suck dust. You'd turn up to a show and your saddles had more dust on them than it was on the outside of the trailer and I tried to put vents in it. It was just – and then I used a couple of old spray tanks. I found a couple of old spray tanks down the paddock. They would be my water tanks. Yep. I thought, well, I'll put them in there and that could be the water tanks, you know, underneath. They leaked everywhere, you know. Like it was just – it was a pretty – it was a bit very of a – agricultural? Yeah, it was a very agricultural show back in the day. But anyway <laughs> – so you take you take that up to to Cloncurry and you take Millionic Chicks. So you've had a few digs at at the event, and you go out there. And from my memory, I think you set the record for the yeah yeah the for highest. the dry work. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, well, I think we had a ninety three or a four or something in the in the dry work in the first round, and then we won the cattle work in the first round. Uh, so we had a pretty big lead going into the final. And then we, I think we were pretty much at equal top in the dry work in the final. Uh, so just then I just had to put a cow around in the final. I just, I didn't get a very good cow either. It was pretty tough. It it ran me all over the pen, but um, yeah, I got it done. But yeah, it wasn't, it was a pretty tough cow in that final, final leg. The poor horse, he got kicked, kicked from every part of him. Trying to just get that cow through the gate. Was trying to run me up the old um, the rodeo shoots, trying to get it to the gate. That was trying to run me up the rodeo shoots, and all I had to do was finish that last circle. But yeah, he never forgot it. I don't think either till the day he died. I don't think he ever forgot. He didn't forgive you for that one. No, no, I don't think he ever did. That's for sure. It still come back to haunt him. So the that horse, because you know, I remember watching him, and I was always interested in him from his American breeding, and then obviously, like I said, I had that man crush date, dating way back. So, you know, I was sort of following you from a distance, almost like a stalker might. <laughs> so you probably don't have any idea about this, but I was I was keep keeping up with him. Then you went to Paradise with him. 
and you had him entered in the and that was a four or five year old challenge. But then yep. you didn't show him, did you? Is this testing your memory? Oh yeah, this is because I heard this was all. I wanted to ask, and I actually, even though I'm not sticking to my run sheet, but I had it written down as was this marketing genius because I heard even before you took him to Cloncurry that you had him entered in a couple of drafts and you took him to the drafts, but you never showed him. And and then it was all the hype, like because everyone knew about the horse. Yeah, I did used to take him to the drafts and ride him around. I but, think you're right. And then and right. then you took him to Paradise, and he just won Cloncurry. And then we were all expecting, okay, is he, what's he going to do? Like he's against four and five year olds. Yeah, at yeah. Paradise, yeah. but then you scratched him. Was that yeah, well, I just I thought there was only one way to go from there, and that was down. I thought I'd just leave it on a bit of a high. And I did have to ride the wheels off him up there. Um, and I just thought I just didn't want to have to ride the wheels off him again, you know, if the cows were maybe a little kinder up there. But I remember just thinking, oh, I'll just, I'll just, um, you know, I'll leave it at that and quit him at that, you know. Um, yeah, I remember plenty of people thinking I was, you know, I remember people coming saying, why aren't you? But I did, I had to ride the wheels off him up there and I didn't want to, there was no time for any to fix anything in between, you know. We had two days to get back to Paradise and we were into it, so... I thought we'd just, I'd just leave him at that and worried about him when I got home, you know. But then you went back the next year and then you won it. Yeah. Because yeah. I was there for that year. Yeah, on um, Mayor of Andrew and Lauren Winks. Oh, yeah, but you won that. But then, sorry, you went to Paradise with me and you won it there, didn't you? Yeah. So you waited till he was now old the, the five-year-old. So yep. was, yeah. And then, yes, you also won Cloncurry on the Mayor yep. that you were just talking about there. As well, so you got a bit of a taste for it. It's two for two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got um, yeah, that, yeah. The mayor. It, um, I guess after he sort of won it, I didn't really year before, um, and I didn't really expect to win it on her. To be honest, it all just happened. You know, like she was good, but I never, you know, I never. I guess it surprised it surprised me a lot too. You know, but. Um, she was strong in her cattle work and she'd, you know, um, we'd had a couple of really good rounds in cattle work and she was really good in the dry. Um, and she was a good looking man. So she, 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 um, she scored, yeah, she, she scored up there really well in the dry too, but it didn't, uh, yeah, that, it was a bit of a shock that one a little bit, like it all just, I didn't expect it to happen at all. You know what I mean? Like I just thought I was just going for. Experience going to, going to go, you know. Um, and then all of a sudden, they're like, you know, when they've added it all up, they're like, You won. I was like, Hell, well, that's pretty cool. But and it was great for them, you know, they're great friends and been great clients for a long time. So, um, it's always good to win for when you've got good clients like that. And then you go and back it up at Paradise with Millionic Chick, and that's where we were sort of like, Did he get shown in between one that Cloncurry and Paradise? Yeah, I took him to, um, yeah, just a few local drafts and. And tried to, I was just, you know, just doing a few local drafts and not doing a great deal, you know what I mean? Because everybody was, everybody was watching, you know what I mean? Everyone was ready to criticise and watch and I guess I felt that pressure a lot too, you know? So um, I was pretty careful about where I went and what I did with him in between and and stuff like that. But yeah, really just um, just trying to keep building him for, the ne- for that next big event, you know? That's a big call because you're only at this stage like early 20s, aren't you? So to have that yeah. sort of maturity in your mindset to go, you got a sports car here that you could have just gone from winning Cloncurry and going, yes, you, like you said, you rode the wheels off him. 
but you could have gone down a paradise and potentially beaten the older horses and yeah. But like you said, there was too much of a risk to lose and take away from the hype. But most people would have had an ego and would have said, "I'm going to do it anyway." Yeah, I guess. Um, I guess comes back to those early days riding those old mad horses that I started out on. I just was like, I never want to go back to them again. And I was pretty, you know, back to when I was doing pony club and stuff like that, that I'd rode the wheels off all those and I'd send them off their head. And I was like, oh, I never want to have another horse like that ever again. <laughs> yeah. So it was more probably, um, it was more for me than just him because I was like, I don't ever want to have a horse that can't stand still. That starts Every time you stand still, it starts trying to paw the ground and rub you up the fence and but also, yeah, I really like, you know, I love the horse and I didn't really, I guess I figured if, you know, like old conductor, I wanted to be still going when he's 17, 18 years old. You know, I didn't want to be just, I wanted to keep him going a long time. Because you talked then about conductor because at, at that same paradise, you won the, I'm pretty sure it was that year. Won the stallion draft. Yeah, is that the same year? Or was that different? Year? I'm pretty sure that was that year. Because won the stallion draft on him and the, uh, uh, I reckon... I've only been to Paradise twice, and, and one of those years you won. Yeah, I'm not sure whether that was the year. I think it might have been the following year that I'd won that. Uh, I won the stay and draft on Conductor. Um, all I remember about I've got a cool story to share about that because Butsy had a couple in that final. I actually think he had double image in that final of the Stalin draft and Double Dog, and I was warming up one of them. I just turn him back, and he he was over there, and you were warming up conductor, turning back cattle, and we we're just having a bit of a yarn, and then we we're just collecting cattle. I think we we're about the only two out there doing it. Like must, you must have been towards the end of the draw, and then I remember you just saying to me, "Shh, and he went, oh, I'm next." You heard over the PA. What he means by he was next was there was a competitor competing, and you were literally next. You weren't next after the next one, and you canned across. In, in front, in, like once that person finished a run, you canned across the uh, arena, went in through the front gates. Yeah. I think you asked somebody, because I'm watching from the far end, look yep. like you've asked somebody about cattle, so you've not watched any cattle. Yeah. You had one of the highest, if not the highest score going into it, and then you just went and put one around on him. I think your shirt was untucked at the back. I just remember you were sitting there. Just It looked, again, this is the man crushed the stalker coming out of me <laughs> because you just like, it just looked like you had a loose rein. You kicked him up the front. He would have had a good yard. You just come around the pegs and he just – he finishes off his peg and then he, he just naturally would sit back, let the cow travel, and then you just give him a couple of little kicks and he'd go around there and circle it up and then he'd sit back and then you go going for the gate. You give him a kick and then he just goes around us and then you end up winning. And I was just watching mesmerised at the time going, like, how, one, did you know you were coming up? I had all these <laughs> questions like – I would have been there so nervous and I would have been watching cattle. I would have been there 10 runs before doing all the things you're supposed to do in preparation for a camp drive. You're just yarning at the back. Yeah, nearly well, missed your run. Well, I think um, I think that's probably why I did it. I don't know. but there was. Do you remember it being like yeah, that? Yeah, I do. And I remember there was another the, another year, the year I won the Supergirl on, on River Queen. I was in the other arena competing. And I was last out on a mare of Terry and Chrissy's in one of the other drafts. But you had to – the main arena took priority. And the final was going on. But I was also last out in the other draft. So it was like, do they wait for me? Do they have to wait for me 
at the other draft, but they were, I was last out. So I was like, well, I can't really keep the judge waiting there for half hour. So I was like, hopefully I can have this run and then get over to watch, get over to have my run in the final of the Supergirl. Well, I've had my run. I put this cow around on this mare of Terry and Chrissy's called Congo. And the people are standing on the hill there and gallop down and someone had galloped down. I think it might have even been Terry. He said, you're in the yard. They're calling for you in the final. You're in the yard. So whoever was working for me at the time, I forget, had the mare saddled up and was standing at the gate. At the So I've galloped. I've gone through the gate. And I've galloped back. I didn't even pull her up. Galloped over. Opened the gate, jumped from one to the other without jumping on the ground and cannered like, I mean, oh, I galloped because they were calling for me. And if you miss your run the final, you're done. Yep. Anyway, it was lucky that everyone's like, whoa, 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 he's last out in the other draft. Just let him. He'll be here in a second. And then I cannered straight into the yard. And I think it was Terry and Troy. So there you're too fresh there. Anyway, anyway, I've had a bit of a look and just like, Literally, that's all I done. Like, I galloped in. They had the gate stand there, hold it open. I galloped in. They're like, there you two fresh there, those two there, right? You know, so I had a look and peel one off. Walked around and won the Supergirl. That was another sort of a thing like that year on Conductor that was – but it's probably because I didn't even – I wasn't, didn't even have time to think, to be but, honest. But does that uh, – from, a, I guess, a psychological point of view, that obviously doesn't worry you? Or what? what's it like? Like, you've been winning, you know, and we've skipped through some of your younger years, but – you were super successful, you know, winning camp drafts. I think I even remember um, on conductor, didn't you, was it third in uh, the Gold Cup and you were like 16? Yeah, uh, no, I finaled him that year, but I'd led going in the final. But you placed I, him somewhere because all I remember – I was in this – I reckon I uh, – yeah, I did. I placed on him in the staying draft, but I didn't have any luck in the final, but I was leading because I was – I did lead that year going into the final. And then because we competed – when I came first over, I was fortunate enough to compete at the Sydney Royal Draft and Conductor was there but with, I'm pretty sure, Warwick Lawrence, 2009, mm-hmm. because they wouldn't let you ride him because he was a stallion. Yeah. Because <laughs> they had different rules mm-hmm. and you weren't 18. No. But you just come off, you know, like I said, it was either, yeah, place in the stallion draft at Warwick, had the highest aggregate in the final, and you're riding, a, starting with a helmet on and you, they wouldn't let you ride him at Sydney. No, um, yeah, Warwick had been asked if, to go down there that year. I was actually in America when he rang me. I reckon it was, oh, I can't remember, but I remember I was at a show at Scottsdale in Arizona with Bob Avila when he rang me and he said, oh, I've been asked to go to Sydney's show tomorrow. I need an open horse. Do you mind if I take old conductor? I said, oh, yeah, go for it. So anyway, um, yeah, he took him down there. But, yeah, I was still too young to – to compete down there and to ride a scene at that at that stage, yeah. But yeah, Warwick, I'd been drafting at all in all the juveniles. Yeah, we just that, I just sort of remember. I think Warwick might have told me the story and the first time meeting everybody when we first came over. But let's go back to then the mindset. If if is that something you've had to learn, or because you've been doing it for so long, you've been competitive and winning for so long, does nothing worry you or? No. You get nervous? Does Huey Miles get nervous? No. No, I don't actually. And I, I used to – and sometimes I wish I would. Um, but, yeah, no, I don't. Like, I actually don't, and I'm not saying that to be arrogant, but I don't get nervous at all anymore. Um, I just think to myself, just, you know, 
I don't know. I just think just myself go get it done. You know, that's all I think. And if it comes off, it comes off. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, but have a very, po- try to have a positive mindset, but not be uh, arrogant, but, you know, confident. Be, be confident, you know, don't be in my own mind, be confident, but, you know, and, and, you, and I've got better at blocking out, you know, if I have a bad run in something or, um, you know, if I have, you know, the previous run, I'm better at, you know, just it's another run, just start again. You know, um, I think that comes back to those pony club days and competing for a long time and, and all that sort of stuff. It all just, it all helped, you know. I, guess, I bet if I hadn't done all that stuff early, I wouldn't be quite like him. But I guess I've been in a lot of bigger, high-pressure situations now. So whether it be runoffs for big drafts or, you know, in – front of big crowds for yeah drafts or whatever I, I did early on for sure um but now um even like you know yeah final in a futurity or final in anything now or even when i've competed in the states and stuff like that no i've even thought you know when i went over there i thought i'll get nervous you know competing in futurity and stuff but no like i don't but it's the next question then are you superstitious because some a lot of cowboys are and we actually interviewed Josh Gibson on our podcast a while ago, and, and you'll have to listen to him because he, he when he played football, it was it was a, it was crazy, like so crazy you wouldn't believe it if I told you. Really, his superstitions to get himself prepared for a football game. I know some cowboys do. Have you got any? Um, not, not really. Um. I guess if I've had it, I'd have one shirt that I wore once and I did no good in it the whole day. I've never <laughs> worn it since. That's, that's I was like, I was just great. like, that's got to, like, there's nothing. So I've thrown but that how, shirt But out. why do you blame the shirt? Because it was a brand know. new shirt. It was a brand new shirt. I've never worn it before. Because it could have been your jocks, it could have been your socks, it could have been your jeans. Well, I don't wear jocks. <laughs> there's a little bit of information. So, and I don't wear jocks. I'm sorry about that. But I don't know about the jeans. They're always the same. Well, they're not the same pair, but um, yeah, you thought but I blame the shirt. I just blame the shirt because it's, I don't know. But anyway, I haven't Made worn sense. the shirt. It just, I haven't worn the shirt. Shit. I think I used to. Normally people rag. have a lucky shirt. I've never heard of an unlucky shirt. Obviously because people just throw them away, but yeah, that might be the first unlucky shirt story. Nah, yeah, I don't know if I have a luck. I don't have enough of a lucky one, I guess. Um, Warren Backhouse had a green shirt. Yeah. Right. And he won a, a major event on. So he kept that shirt, but it got to the point that it was so faded. So then he's changed to just green shirt. So he was the green shirt, like he had to wear this same one. Anytime he was in a big event, he would wear this green shirt, jury finals, that sort of stuff. But it was like you, you, you'd be able to find photos. I mean, it is yeah, yeah. falling well, apart. It comes to, yeah. Fading. Like it's all overseas. When you see a photo of Warren, he's always in a green yeah, shirt. Yeah, so then, then, he, then he obviously had to make the decision that I've got to get rid of that shirt. So then any big event, he still has a green shirt on. Yeah, right. No, I don't have any too much like that. It's more um, – I don't think I have any – like nothing that comes to mind. Um, the main thing I do like to do if before competing is make sure I always eat properly. Like I'll – I do find that I um, – my concentration watching cows and stuff like that, if I haven't eaten properly, I'll – my mind will be, you know, very hard for me to focus or remember stuff. But my biggest thing, I, I guess, on a big day is to make sure I try to make sure I eat, you know, even if I'm not hungry, because I don't eat a great deal. Um, I try not to eat, 
yeah, I, I try not to eat. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not a breakfast person. You know, I might have lunch and that might be it, you know. Um, but I do on days I'm competing, I try to make sure I eat um, just so I can I can focus better and stuff like that. But that's about it really. So then we've talked about all these horses so far and there's a, there's a lot since as well. Have you got some favourites that come to mind? Oh, it'd be very hard to go past old conductor for sure. I was hoping you were going to say that because that, that's – Again, a huge fan when I was stalking you yeah. about Conductor because he just looked so cool. Yeah, oh, he was sent like he just he never had a bad day. That horse, um, he was just had a heart, you know, the biggest heart of any horse, you know. Um, he was just the war horse, you know. I remember you could take the toughest cows on him, you know, and he would, you know, he just knew his job. He never, he never had a bad day. You know, I can't ever remember having a day where I think that horse never tried, you know. Um, you know, and he, he proved himself, you know, like he won quite a lot. And <coughs> I, um, yeah, I owe a lot to that horse, you know, like he was, I'll probably never get another one like him, you know, like he was just, he was pretty sensational. He just gave you everything, every trip, you know. He was, um, yeah. So he and yeah, definitely, and then River Queen, um, you know, which, one, which he's the sire of. Uh, or is that a red oak? No, she was out of a no, she was out of a sister red oak, but she was actually by a thoroughbred. Oh right, she was out of Freckles Oak, man. But um, River Queen too, for sure. She was a bit like him in the end. Like she could, she had always had some. She could handle any cows. It took a lot to come in the beginning, but she um, you know, one Warwick got cup cutouts on her and. Won a lot of drafts on her at Supergirl at Paradise and Champion Champions at Paradise. And, um, her, definitely. Uh, Honey, the Bay Mare that I draft, the Acres Mare, um, for sure. I don't know if I've ridden, you know, she's just one of the most talented horses I've ever rode, for sure. And it got a big heart, too. Um, I'd, and she's out of a Spinifex bread mare, that Honey Don't Tell of Steve Felton's. Um, so I wonder whether that heart comes, you know, with her and conductor, where that heart comes from old spin effects, yep. you know, just that try. Um, you know, and in recent times, Razor Garter and, well, I mean, Honey's still going. She's been out for the last sort of 12 to 18 months with a suspensory, but hopefully she'll be back next year. I'm looking forward to having her back because, yeah, she's one of the – she's a pretty special horse and uh, well, wishes that's by conductor. She definitely is probably one of the now better she, ones too. Is she out of this acres mare or a different acres No, mare? out of a sister to that mare. Um, probably out of a three-quarter or seven-eighth sister to her. Acres future. Uh, Oaks future, Oaks yeah. Future. Um, but, yeah, Honey and um, honey and Wishes probably, I suppose, in the last few years and Raise Your Garter and Time's Up, you know. Um, hard to go past those two studs too now. Um, time's Up, you know, is this pretty talented Pretty talented horse with a big, you know, with a huge amount of speed, very quick, and and Razor Garter. I mean, he's just one of the most, one of the smartest horses I've had anything to do with too. And he's he's a lot like Conductor too. He he'll break his leg to try for you, and incredibly soft as well. You know, um, and a beautiful travelling horse, flat travelling, and you know, really soft. And so yeah, I've been pretty lucky to have a fit, you know, quite a, you know, quite a good group of horses and I mean there's plenty of others there too but those ones always sort of 
those ones stick out for sure. And I had this question a bit earlier, but then you've already sort of talked a little bit about, say, that American influence. But who are some of you've you've obviously had a lot of mentors. Like you've 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 brushed past, you know, Terry and Chrissy, but but you've I mean, it looks like in my mind I could sit there and say, like, you've got a bit of there's a bit of Terry Hall in you, know, there's there's a little bit of maybe Gerald O'Brien there, there's um Bruce McNaughton, like are these you know, is that is that are these guys people that you spent time with or who who can you you yeah. know credit for for yeah, well, I spent, you a start. spent a lot of time as a kid with Gerald a lot, um, you know, and did spend a lot of time with him. Um, so, yeah, definitely, uh, yeah, would, you know, owe a lot to him and a lot of, you know, just especially especially when it comes to breaking and tra- breaking horses, you know what I mean? I find that he's one of the best I've seen for putting a mouth on a horse and getting a horse broke. Um, I did spend a lot of time too with Bruce and Julie, Growing up, you know, um, I used to go there quite a lot, um, spend weekends and stuff there. When I was at boarding school in Armadale, I'd catch the bus to Walker and, um, and later on, even when I had my licence, I'd go back to their place and stay with them, you know. Um, Bruce Bruce taught me a lot, you know. Um, he's a, yeah, he's a, he's a very good horseman and, you know, and he's had an incredible amount of great horses, you know. Um, you know, and they trained the way that I really liked, that was a style that I liked, you know, and, Growing up, watching him on Gold Dust and Serene, and um, I didn't get to see. Um, I didn't get to see. Uh, um, you know those early ones like music and stuff like that. But you know, definitely like I remember Serene, clear as day, I and mean, she's one of the most beautiful mares I've ever seen. You know, still to this day would be you know as beautiful type and. Um, yeah, spent some time with Terry and Chrissy and stuff too, and you know, and Terry, you know, just about. More like chasing cattle and how to all that sort of stuff. Um, they've been very good to me. They were very good to me too. You know, early on when I was younger and getting going, and um, like they've been to a lot of young people. Um, and then I guess I've just sort of spent time with different people and gathered stuff from here and gathered stuff from there, and what works for me and what doesn't. And I still don't think that I've got it all figured out. That's for sure either. You know, there's plenty of stuff that I every day I still think that I need. You know, definitely need to be improving on and getting better. Um, I think we just get a little bit smart, like you get a bit smarter about, you know, and what to ask and when to ask and all that sort of stuff. But there's definitely always thinking there's got to be a easier or better way, you know. Um, but I don't know if there is. I think it's just, you know, just persistence. Just, yeah, just time, you know, persistence, and that's about it, really. You just got to keep, and everyone's different, you know. But those guys definitely, you know. And then when I went to the states, you know. Bob Avler and Todd Crawford, and when I went and spent so time t- with those guys. Tell me just a little bit about that. So you left – how old were you when you left to go to the States? Well, it was, I was uh, just 18. I first finished school. So instead of going to schoolies, I went to the States for three months and did three months over there and went to Darren Simpkins first and did the futurity and stuff with him. And then after that, I went to Todd Crawford up there in Oklahoma and he was unreal. That would be good. Yeah, Todd Crawford, was a, he was cool. Like yeah. he was well, nearly all the like we look now like Todd Crawford was the at the time the biggest name in cowhorse, but everybody now that's the biggest names in cowhorse have all spent time with Todd Crawford. Yeah, yeah, and he's a he's just a he's an absolute worker, you know. Like he'd and then you you know compare like he and Bob Avila were 
the two probably the best cow horse guys, you know, like Todd Bergen and all those guys. A lot of guys started with with um, Avila too, but they were com- two completely different styles, you know. Like you go to Crawford's place and he'd have 60 horses in work and you'd be working in minus 15 degrees there in Oklahoma. I'd just, you know, like it was freezing cold. and He'd just live with a hoodie and gloves on all day and just go from dark till dark. Um, you know, and colts are all out in, you know, out, you know, you bust an ice in troughs in the morning from there in the mud and you've got no rugs on and the, you know, two-year-old colts are all haired up and you think, is this horse ever going to make maturity? And then, you know, you, the show horses are all in heated, you know, they're all in a barn and it's all heated and warm. When you go to Avila's back in California, the two-year-olds are rugged. The two-year-olds are, you know, they get, they get, the royal they get oil every day and they get everything like there's the same but they were compl- on two complete different ends of the spectrum you know what i mean but that all it still work out in the yeah, wash still worked out you know but you just but yeah todd was just a, he's a proper cowboy to the core you know he yeah. just he would you know and at avalus we'd only be working there was four of us there and we're only working about 20 horses you'd work about four or five horses each a day and that was it <laughs> you'd be done by lunch whereas Crawford you'd go there he'd start at four in the morning you'd be finished at maybe eight or nine o'clock at night he was like working for an Aussie yep <laughs> you know and he'd just keep you just you did saddle your own horses there and, you know and yeah no it was um, but yeah both those guys are very good to me I mean I came back um, I hadn't been back long and Travis Rample but um, he now like he was doing he went he was working for uh, Bob Avila and he went back to Canada for Christmas and anyway, he wasn't allowed back, something to do with his visa and they're banning from the States for five years. Anyway, and um, he, uh, Bob rang me and asked me to go and work for him, but at the time I had too much going on here and recent, like, you know, the family situation here had changed, so I had to come back here and either run the farm. If I didn't, we probably wouldn't still be here. So it was either the farm or, or go over there and I decided to stay here and, um, you know, sometimes that sort of, that uh, in one way it worked out good and other ways that, you know, it would have been nice to do that. You didn't get to do that sort of that young young person thing, you know, but um, I just had to stay here and I'd stay and work. Otherwise I wouldn't have had a place when I, if I ever came home to come back to. So I stayed here, but yeah, so yeah, Travis has done really, like Travis now, he goes back there, but yeah, he's he rides, he shows in the futurity there now and he's moved in the cutting thing and he's one of the top trainers in Canada and, he uh, catch rides every year over there for Jesse Lennox. And, um, yeah, so, you know, I'm still good mates with those guys and I'll see him when I go over in a couple of weeks. And But, yeah, you made, it's amazing just in that short time, the amount of contacts you still make. Yeah, so you talked <clears throat> a little bit about the cutting just then and we've, we've touched on it. We, you're, you're right into your cutting now. When was the changeover? Like when did you go? Was that always a plan? Like I was going to get into cutting or did it just evolve or? Yeah, no, I always wanted to. I guess trying to get into it was hard when you're not really born into it or you're not around, you know what I mean? You're not really riding horses that are bred for it. So I sort of had to buy a few horses to try to train out myself to get into it, you know. Um, it's hard enough to sort of get into, you know. Um, but, yeah, that was I was always loved it, you know. I remember as a kid going to the old showground there and used to sit in there in the announcer's box with old Ted there and watch all day, you know, and I was just, just loved it. I was in awe of it, you know. I thought it was just unbelievable. But, um, 
yeah, always wanted to. It was just trying to get into it. And it's hard. Like it was, you know, it's just not the easiest thing to get into. You need a lot of cows and need a lot of help and all the rest of it. So it's not um, it's not an easy thing. But it, it was always the plan. I would always wanted to, to get into it growing up. I thought it was just pretty, you know, and I just enjoy the process of it. And um, whether the horse makes a good cutting horse or not, um, the end product, you know, that you can go drafting or whatever, you've got a good item you know, that's set for life, you know, you can either sell or do whatever you want to do with, but the process is probably what's the best part of it. It gives you that, whether they're going to, yeah, whether they make it or not, but you, it gives you a purpose to get out every day and work them and get them trained, you know, and you've, yeah, even if, let's just say to client, even if they don't make the greatest horse, it's the process that will make them for life, you know, and you can generally, if they've been through that, they're a, yeah, like they are, they're set. They can go easily go camp drafting if they're the the right product to start with. You know, they can they can go camp drafting or do whatever, and you shouldn't you know shouldn't ever lose. You know, was it a hard transition? Like from all I'm trying to think of, and I've dabbled a tiny little bit into the cutting just recently, but camp drafting is so fast and quick, and yeah, you can you know breed specific horses and train for it, but you can also just put a horse around if you're yeah. a good operator and it's obviously a lot more in the reins and yeah. things like that. So transitioning into cutting, was that difficult? Like did you find there was a – I know that it seems like your style was heading that way anyway, but showing them early on, was was that a challenge? Oh, yeah. Showing cutting horses hard, you know. Um, like, I mean, it's it's not – it's not hard, but there's just so many variables that got to go right too. Yeah, I thought it, it looks easy watching. It looks like, well, if you get the right horse and you, you, you cut your cows, but then I didn't realise how much variables there Yeah, is. and because it's all so slow, you just look and go, that just looks easy, mm. you know. But, I mean, anybody that's never had a go, that's what they always say that. They'll be like, oh, you just, you know, you go down there and put your, cut a cow and put your hand down. Yeah. You got to control the cow you can't touch you know you like it is it is hard and i'd probably enjoy the challenge of it you know what i mean um like yeah still haven't got it you know still haven't got it figured out and not even close but um hopefully every year you start to get a little bit better at at, at understanding what will picking earlier when your horses are gonna what ones are gonna make it and what ones aren't and um trying to be be a better judge for your clients so you don't you're not wasting their time and as well you know trying to get better at picking them early on you know you'd think oh you know i'll get this thing but if they're not showing you signs early you know you're pretty much now with the caliber horses we got you know you you, you are you're pushing literally you're pushing shit uphill you know but um you know and then that's hard then you got to go show them and there's nothing more embarrassing than showing a horse that you've got to go show that you're like oh you know, I thought I'd be able to get this horse here, but and we've everyone's done it, you know, and but a lot of time it's not coming from big you know, it's it's wanting to try to get do the right thing. Yeah, you're trying to do the right thing too, you know, you think, well I can if I can get it there, we've already come this far, we can just get it try you know, get it there for them and hopefully if it get the right cows, you know, it'll yeah. it'll be good, you know, but then not very often on those horses that are a bit more limited that you're having trouble with, you get those right cows, it's going to suit it. You know, you end up getting a cow that will run you all over the pant, you know. Um, and a lot of the time those horses create it. They create it. So, yeah, like it's um, it's 
trying to get yeah, trying to get better at you know picking those things. But yeah, it, it, I just enjoy the process of it, and it gives me a purpose. You know, once those horses hit three year old every year, they become the first horses get worked every day. You know, um, you know the two year olds they're normally the end of the day as they're two, but as soon as that two year old that that change they hit over. that that change over the first of August, well those shows are over. Those they they become. Priority for the next twelve months, and they are the first ones to get rode every day. And then it's just a bit of a cycle and a bit of a you know it's the this the process. But yeah, I enjoy that part of it. You know, otherwise I feel like it would be too easy to get. Oh, I'm going to do this this week and this this week, and all of a sudden you've a month's gone by and you haven't really got your horses worked. You know, and and I know you know that from just doing camp horses. You'd be like, oh, look, I'll. You know, I should be riding this horse, but I've got to do this, I've got to do that. Oh, it's not really going anywhere until it's ready. But all of a sudden, you've been saying that for two years, you know. Whereas mm-hmm. if they've been through that cutting pro that process, you've got a deadline to have them ready by, you know. So that so, that's so what helps me. So that's the, you know, changeover. What What's your favourite? Like if you just – if I said to you, you know, you've done – you we already know you've done the challenging, you went back challenging this year – You've obviously camped draft, you did the showing, now you're cutting. If I just had to just say you can only do one, what are you choosing? Or is it something completely different that you haven't done yet? Um, nah, with horses in regards yeah, to – horses, um, yeah. Nah, I think it would be the cutting on the camp draft. Do you think I, I wouldn't – people ask me this all the time. Can't split I, it? I don't really – I like the – I like the process of the cutting, obviously, and the how the um, you know, it's you got to be professional. It's got to be, you know, you can't just be, you know, like a drafter. You can take a horse that can barely cut out and barely chase anything that's never seen a cow and get a cow round, you know, and someone can beat you, or you and you can have the best horse there, and then if you don't get the cow, someone can beat you on a horse that goes like a breaker. I mean, that's not getting. Yeah, I know what these you mean. days, like, but it, it's not, you know, it's, it's, you can well, I, pretty I, much sometimes just turn up on the weekend, even if you've got a trained horse, like, they're not putting in the preparation. Yeah. And that part gets a bit frustrating. Whereas I guess the cutting, I enjoy that side of it. But I don't know. It's a, it's a hard one. I mean, um, yeah, it's, it's a hard one. I, I guess you'd probably, well, I would have picked that you would have said camp drafting for sure, but I, I probably would if I had to, just because of the, uh, the only thing, and the, but the hardest part about the camp draft things these days it's got so big is getting all your runs. You know, you're restricted to eight runs on a weekend or ten runs. Well, you can go, you can take five horses and have those, you can take five horses and have ten runs over running the maiden novice each and there's your ten. And that's getting, that's made it really hard. So that's probably why I've gone more to the cutting too is because, it's very hard to run a business when you only can you can only ride five horses for the week. Good point. Yeah. You know, so it's it they've really made it really hard. Whereas if they go to, got a weekend carding, you can take seven, eight, or eighteen horses, or ten, or twelve, or whatever. You know, and even even for the you know they the age events you're restricted, but you can still have four in each or five in each if they're a sale or a gelding. So you can still you can still potentially take twenty horses. <coughs> So, probably from running a business point of view, the cutting is 
is the better way to go, is, is being financially the best way to go. But if I said I'm just going to go camp rafting, well, by the time you put one or two of your own horses in there, you know, and a couple of clients, well, you're not really making much money, unfortunately. So um, that's probably the part that's pushed me more, pushed me more cutting, you know, for, as a business as a business standpoint. That's a good point. That's probably something I didn't really think about within the question because, yeah, we, you know, assume, you know, it's just that logical choice. But when you talk about it from a business point of view, it becomes a few more different elements. And and then going on to the, the next question is saying, well, you've had success in all those disciplines that I just mentioned. What's the most meaningful win that you've you've had or a few wins? Like what can you think of things that – has stood out more because it's countless and when I do your intro, it's going to go on for a month if I'd put down all the success um, that you've had. Oh, I don't know, I really know, to be honest. Um, so I, this is the problem with having too many wins. So I could rattle off. You can never have too many wins, but um, I guess uh, – you know, I guess probably that world draft on Sid at Sydney Royal on on wishes, like a mare that I trained and mm-hmm. you know did all that. You know, um, the bread and had from the beginning. Um, you know, but Concari, obviously the very first Concari on on Millionic. Um, yeah, there's um, it's probably really there's nothing that I really. Well, that's definitely the biggest one by, you know, there's nothing that I could say really is the biggest one by far, but. What about this? I'll, I'll ask it in a different way. What about an event that you haven't won? Is there something that you're pining for that you're just like, I want to win this? Oh, definitely. Uh, well, uh, yeah, there's quite a few. I still yeah, there's still quite a few. Well, Willinga would be a nice one to win, you know, being second there last year by. Third point, of a point. Yeah, point three of a point. Uh, and third the year before and um, won I the think aggregate that was, and was stuff only, there. It was, was 0.6, 0.66 of a point the year before. Um, Warwick Gold Cup, I've been, you know, been third. I've led it quite a few times going in the final. Um, I think both you and Butsy because we're going to interview Butsy as well and that one's going to be his answer, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, absolutely. He's yeah. come second a couple of times and won Canning Downs a couple of times. Yeah, it, it'll be it'll be obviously a good one to win. I, I feel I, I guess my desire to win that one has probably faded a little bit in recent years with the horse restrictions a little bit. Um, I mean, I know people would say it's makes it more of an even playing field, but we're leaving so many good horses at home that are open horses that you can't take. You know that deserve to be there. So I feel like sometimes even now we're not competing against all the best horses, whereas years ago. Everyone would have – you might have 10 open horses there, but they're the best and they're the ones you want to beat. Whereas yeah, now point. I feel like if I go, I'm still leaving quite a few good open horses at home, even, you know, open novice horses at home that should be there. And I feel, so I really feel my Warwick thing is sort of probably – I mean, it'd be nice to win, don't get me wrong, but it's definitely faded. I think like a Willinga or something like that now would be – is high, has gone around it for me. Um, just because I feel just the way they've the way they've changed it and the way they've structured it, it's probably um, just lost its probably prestige a bit for me. Um, and a Futurity would be nice to win one year. I was waiting sure. to hear the Futurity. A Futurity would be nice to win one year, but um, 
Oh, look, I don't, um, yeah, I guess there's, I don't really have a bucket list. I guess I just, I guess once you do do win those, I guess like once I won Concurry, I never, I didn't, I went back that following year and then I haven't really been back since, you know, I guess that, so maybe if I do, if I did win them, that desire to keep going would, um, would definitely, might, might fade, but would definitely like to do it. But at the same time, it doesn't, I don't do it. You know, I don't every day wake up thinking that's what I want to want to achieve. You know, I just want to have good horses that people want to that um want to buy and you know pretty much buy and that's where I know I can guarantee you are guaranteed good money in this industry now. You know, with with the way the industry is, you know, so pretty much just trying to train good horses that people want to buy because it's the last twelve months has been it's been incredible the way it's changed. You know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, then that really segues into this next question, talking about wins and and how the industry's changed. What's the next? What's a five year plan, or even a ten year plan, or both? Like, what's what's next for Huey? Because you're different to a lot of people that we're going to interview and have interviewed in the fact that you've done so much so young. So you know, a lot of people again, like you, did you say you're thirty one? No, 33 now. Oh, 33. Getting old. Yeah. 33. So you're 33 and you've accomplished so much already, which is a lot of people could only dream about. So then what's what's next? Like when we talk about five years, you're 38. We talk about 10 years, you're 43, like still a young man. Is is things going to change? Or have you got any plans? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I hope that in another 10 years I'm not riding near as many horses as I am now. Um I'd like to get back to either just ride my own or a certain few clients or, um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be going as hard, definitely another 10 years and hopefully got a family and a stuff like that, that I can, you know, that you can enjoy, um, feel like made a lot of sacrifice, sacrifices, you know, and working as hard as we do and everything. Um, so I feel like, you know, I, I need to, st- you know, want to start sort of, enjoying you know that and maybe my place and 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 i've got some i've got a few other a few other business stuff going on um and i've got some stuff that i want to do and yeah if they all come off then you know i might really you might who knows to be honest but um at the minute i'm just going to keep keep doing what i'm doing but i've keep working i don't know if that'll ever change you know even but uh yeah i still want to um Still want to keep competing. Still want to keep doing the horses, but I'll just keep a few clients or whatever. It all depends on, but the way that the way the industry's going and the way that you know, if it keeps going the way it is, it's it's it'd be hard industry to stop doing as well because of the amount of money that is in it. You know what I mean? It'd be um, sometimes where you think, oh, geez, I'm just I've had enough of riding horses. You think, well, that's not very smart. You know, I think so. Well, that's not very smart because at the moment there's a lot of money to be made and. You know, um, horses and and the horses I get to ride these days are a walk in the park. You know, like I'm not like I'm. If I was belting away on some bad bred horses, like I did in early days, you know, when people are sending you four and five year old, um, you know, bred things that have been, you know, or flo- um, you know, um, reflect things to break yeah. in or whatever. Yeah, um, give them, give them cross three bred horses, you know, and they turn up and they. Run them off the truck in the cattle yards, and you know, and you 
you'd have to teach them to lead and do all that sort of stuff and you got a month to do it in and we used to do it for $1,200, you know, like these days. I, we don't ride a bad one, you know. Um, they're all well-bred, so it's actually the job's not that hard either, you know what I mean? We don't deal with any ordinary horses, so it's actually easy in that regard. It's just the – I guess it's just it gets a bit monotonous at times and, and staff, I guess, is the hardest part these days to sourcing people that want to work, you know. Yeah, and that's that that's, makes it tricky. It makes it, and that's across the board. I think, um, you know, I often see that you've got to post up, you know, looking for. for I think it runs. I think it runs all the time. Uh, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, but just I don't get think I change it. Yeah, you just want to make sure you have got a bit of a backup list. Yeah, I actually now I want to have more than what even one one person more than what I need to have a backup. To have a backup. Yeah, if something happens with one, I want to be able so to go. This wasn't a question that we. I necessarily had in mind, but it is a problem. Like, and I talked about Warren Backhouse, and he's quit taking on people full stop. So what, he only runs what he can handle, because and he's got his girls involved in his business and his wife's involved. But he always used to have help. But he just went, you know, they're so unreliable and they'd leave all the time. And he just said, I, I just got sick of it. And it's such a shame because you know in this country he's the leading reigning horse trainer. Yeah, and now he's not. There's no more protégés. There's no no one coming out of his barn, so it's a real shame that we lose that expertise in, in himself. And you're saying you've got a t- you know reasonable turnover of staff. What do you, what do you reckon the reason is? I mean, what why is it they can't handle they can't work as hard as you work or like it's not just your problem. It's yeah, an issue everybody has. Well, uh, yeah, I think so. And I, you know, even like I. I'm way better to my stuff now than what I was in early days. When I was younger, I was hot-headed, you know, and you know, and these days or that we pussyfoot around them, trying to make sure they're happy, and they still we still can't keep them. You know what I mean? A lot of time, I feel like I'm working for them. Um, but I have been lucky in you know I compare a lot of the guys, you know, that are around. I've been very fortunate to have some good stuff, but then there's a lot come and go. It might last a week, and they're like, "Oh, this is too hard." Or so do you think they just think it's glamorous? Yeah, they, they just think, watch your truck roll on. Yeah. Because this what I said. This is what's so good about podcasts. Because already, you know, it's been going for over an hour, but just in that little bit of time, we we get to hear about your humble beginnings and how hard you did it, and how hard you work, and you know how much you've invested into it. But then it's easy to see, like I said before, the rig turns up to to nutrient sale twenty. Beautiful horses come out of it. You know, you sell on the top priced horses. You win in the big drafts. The horses look amazing. You're shiny. You pack up and you go home. And do they think it's a the life of a rock star? Or? Yeah, I think they do. I definitely think they do. You know, when you when they you know when you say oh they say what time you want to start in the morning you say oh you know if you start feeding at five thirty or five or whatever they look at you like you gotta be like I'll be only getting home then you gotta be kidding like they look you like well. You know, they just, they think it's just that, that, I think that's what they think, you know, like they think it's just going to shows on weekends and don't do much in between and they might feed a few horses and wash a few and, yeah, I don't think they think, they don't see, you know, like in, yeah, I don't know, I don't, yeah, the young people today, it's weird and I mean, I mean, I'm only, I mean, I'm only young, I'm not trying to, and I'm sure it was, you know, for the for the older generation too, they worked a lot. They they worked harder. But I mean, when I first started out, I had no help. You know, I had all the paddocks here were all electric tape. I had no indoor. 
I had an outdoor pan that was a few panels that used to fill up when it rained and it was all clay underneath and ended up just being a dam. So I used to run the plough through it and it was just as like it was, you know, and I had no, you know, no stables. I had a shed that had a couple of panels in it for stalls but they were more dangerous to put horses in than they were. You're better off if you had an injury, you'd be better off leaving them out in the paddock of the tape, you know, because yeah. so – and yeah, they and they still come here, and now I've got to, you know, spent put everything back into good stables, good facilities. Yeah. They've got accommodation, you know. Even like I had one guy work for me early on, and he lived in a caravan for three years. He worked for me at a caravan, and he'd come down the house here every night for dinner and shower and everything. He never whinged and complained at all. Yeah, there's no way. There's no way you could get anyone to do that now. You know, if you said, "Oh my, you're gonna have to come work here, and you're gonna get." You know, back then you'd be only paying five hundred a week, and now they're all nearly close to. By the time you pay tax and supers and everything, nearly on a thousand. Plus, they got horses here, and plus they they don't have to pay power, and you know yep. they don't have to pay rent. You know, if they don't live here, you give them fuel and all the rest of it. They got horses and all. You know, you feed the horses and you cart the horses, and and they, you know they're all on nearly. You know, when you work it all out, they're all on over a thousand dollars a week. Yet, you know, when I first started out, and I'd. I was on about four or five hundred dollars a week for that first year when I worked for Bully, and I drive to his place every day. I'd catch thirty horses on my own, no help, you know. Like and it's just you're working in the dust and the heat, and you know you had to wash them yourself, and they're running in brood mares and breeding horses, and yeah, you know, I just don't know what they like. It's really making it impossible. I just don't know how. There's no one that actually knows how to work. Like knows how to work, you know. They if they do, they're rare. Yeah, that's well. I, and I've told the story on our own podcast, but for, for myself, I did a farrier apprenticeship, and, and the best farrier that we had, you know, in our area, when we my dad asked him whether I could do an apprenticeship with him, he didn't want an apprentice. He's like, I, I just do the work that I can handle, and that's it. Mm. So we sort of really pushed on it. And he said, Well, he's only going to slow me up. He's going to cost me money. So he actually, my parents paid him for a little while, so I got no pay, and then he got paid to have me. Yeah, well, when I and, went, and then I did that for a while, and then I got handy enough that I could at least do some trims, and you know, I was I was sort of keeping up with him. And then he said, "Okay, well, you can just stop paying me," and that's all we did. And then if I needed to, I, all my shoeing tools were bought for me as presents. Then if I needed to earn money, like when I bought my first car, I'd go shoeing on the weekend. So I had my own tools that my parents bought me for presents. And then I'd go off and shoe horses, trim horses, and then I saved up enough money. I sold a horse to get my uh, first car. And I never thought I had a rough deal. Yeah. And then when we get them, it's exactly what you said. You get them and you give them all, all of these, you know, we've got, you got everything included and, mm. you know, good money and, and you know, uh, good conditions. And then they're like, oh, how many days off do I get? And yeah, it's the first question they are. Or the first question when they ring you and the worst part thing, I had one ring me the other day. Oh, first of all, I just want to know how much you pay. <laughs> and I said, that's the worst thing you could yeah. ask me. Well, I was just was like, I don't, it's not going to work straight away. But when I first went, finished school and went to the States, I worked for nothing. I never got paid. I was just there because I wanted to learn. You know, and they, yeah. I was like, I'll feed myself. And I lived on bugger all. I lived on pork chops that were about bloody three bucks for a packet. I just lived on pork. That's all I lived on when I was over there. There's pork chops that cost nothing for them. Yeah. I lived on them and like spaghetti and baked beans and toast. Like that's all I, you know, like you can live on bugger all. But the, yeah, like 
And because all and I rank, I was like, you know, because I, I know it'd be just a pain. It'd be a pain in the ass to have someone that doesn't really know much. So I was like, hey, I'll just come and I'll work for nothing. Yeah, just you don't have to me. pay me. Just give me somewhere to sleep. So I'm gonna rest my head and I'll work and I worked like I was a. But you would just no. You can't even get anyone to. You can't get anyone to even think about coming to work now for those conditions. No, but it's good for the podcast because hopefully, if there is younger people that are listening, that that they go, oh, I want the lifestyle of a few miles, but then they don't understand what that what it took to get there. Like when you said about asking about a wage, when when I was in WA and this before Double Dan, you know, I, I had the ambitions to come over here and train and maybe do cutting and anyway, I rang a few people and I'm getting onto Corey Holden. And he needed somebody to help. Well, I didn't ask him anything other than, if you, you know, do you need somebody? He said yes. And I took myself from Western Australia, I was 17, to Corey's place there in Cobram, where mm. he is now, and I had no idea what the conditions were. Didn't mm. have a clue. Because I just, again, thought, how rude to ask. Yeah. I've asked him yeah. if I could have a job there. Yeah. And, again, I didn't, I didn't know what the conditions were. I didn't know what the pay was. I didn't know anything about days off. I didn't care. Yeah. I sold, every, I sold everything that I had. Uh, he said I could bring a horse. I shipped a horse over. I flew over and and started riding for him. And it wasn't until he said, it, you know, like, oh, we'll need your bank details or fill out this tax return and mm. paperwork or whatever, um, that I was even getting paid. Yeah. No, that's uh, – now it's all – you know, and I say to them when they actually ring up, do you want to do this – for a living, like I say to them, do you want to do this for a living or are you just doing this for a job? And if they say, no, no, I love horses and this is what I want to do, then, you you know, they're the ones you think about. If they say, oh, no, I'm just looking for, I need a job, then I don't want, you don't want them because, you know, they're only there. They'll be whinging about the hours. They'll be out the gate as soon as they, you know, the day's over. They won't be there. If something needs an eye doing or whatever, they'll be like, oh, bugger it, I'll do it tomorrow. But if they got their heart in it, you'll employ those ones, but you still got to pay them a fortune. Like, I mean, a lot of them aren't worth it. You're like, you know, but legally, we all, we've got to pay them that now. Um, yeah. But and we, we could literally <laughs> rant yeah, about this. forever, yeah. Yeah, so let's, let's start to wind it up and we're going to do a little bit of more lightheartedness. I've got this question down here what's something people wouldn't know about you come on give us something something that you know we talked about all the things our perception of when we see you roll up to the the show our perception of nice horses nice gear nice truck all the rest of it but what's something that we don't know about you oh throw curveball at you yeah you have i feel like everybody seems to know everything about me um whether i want them to or not well, yeah, that's a good point. And that's a part of being successful, unfortunately. We, we all want to know. But, I, I mean, one thing that comes to my mind, and because we know each other a little bit beyond just uh, the professional side of things, you talked about the couple of business things. I mean, you, you're interested in other things other than horses. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, I do. Like so I, a lot of people wouldn't have a clue. They just think. No, like I do. Every morning I um, – the first thing I do is when I have a coffee is I read the financial review. See, that's crazy for me. Like I'll I'll look at look at it each morning and I'll look to see what the share market's going to do. Um, yeah, I do study shares and all and stuff like that. Like I'll check my shares four or five times a day. Um, yeah, it's that's one thing. Oh yeah, I'll read the financial review. I'll I'll look into stuff. I'm I'm pretty interested in what's going on in the world and 
what you know what things what things are doing what and um yeah so yeah i'm into i've got quite a a couple of things that I've been, um, yeah, a couple of business things that I'm involved in that are actually going on at the minute and stuff like that. And if, um, yeah, a few, uh, like being involved in some capital raises on some businesses and stuff like that. So um, I've been, you know, just trying to diversify and stuff like that. So if anything was to ever happen that, um, you know, family or whatever would be fine. If I was to ever get hurt and I couldn't work, then stuff like that. So they're just trying to, you know, um, have passive income and stuff like that too, you know, because I can't. Which is, it's new, this is a new age cowboy because, you know, we've seen it in the past and, and not naming names or anything like that, but there's been a lot of successful horsemen, competitors, cowboys. Yeah, yeah. But then at the end of the day when they start getting broken down and they can't work, yeah, you can, you can pick, them up, pick them up and shake them and they've got nothing. Yeah. yeah so, so I don't want to get to that. Yeah, and and there's a few like I, I can think of again. I'm not going to name the names, but it's it's something now that seems to be more thought of in a way. Like it's like yeah, you can ride X amount of horses for X amount of years. Yeah, but what's beyond that? And so I think that's an, like the perfect answer that people would know that Huey Miles is waking up in the morning and reading the financial review. Yeah, I've been subscribing to it for years now and I just, yeah, I do. I read it every morning. I'll check to see first thing what the shares are going to rise or fall or what's going to happen on Wall Street because that's sort of the first thing that will influence what's happening here. Um, so, yeah, so I do, yeah, I do that most. And I'm pretty – I'm always, uh, you know, I want to be and look at getting into some real estate, commercial stuff, you know, housing and rentals and stuff like that so that's sort of the next thing i want to do um i do want to get into more land and stuff but i want to after the drought i feel that cured me of wanting more land wanting more land a bit so if i i think the next thing i'll do is probably want to go more into something that doesn't um isn't affected by we're not so you know it won't fluctuate due to the weather or the you know whether we're in drought or floods you know so get into stuff that's a bit more stable. stable. That's a good one. I'm going to give you an opportunity here again on a bit of lightheartedness. Joel Fleming's a good friend of yours. He's yeah. got no idea about this, by the way. But he just takes any opportunity to rag you out. Yeah, it's, he's just jealous of me, I reckon. That's all it is. He's so good. I want you to, if you got any dirt, because I, I love Joel. Like any time that I'm selling horses at Nutrien, I always look to see who my auctioneers are because I always want Joel to sell them. Yeah. I just think he's the funniest guy I've ever heard. I think he should – if he wasn't doing the whole auctioneer thing and I know he's getting into – he's an agent and real estate and all the rest of it, but I just think he could actually be a comedian on TV. Well, he's actually coming to the States with me next week. Yeah, right. He, he's coming with me, so it'll be What's a, a story trip. you can share with us that hopefully he will, he will hear? Oh. A bit of dirt on Joel Fleming. Oh, God, that's one thing I do have is a shocking memory. But I did have the best photo of him once, and he deleted it off my phone. But we were in Fiji getting fu- – we were in Fiji. We had got these tattoos. Anyway, and he – It's already a good story. He's, <laughs> he tells me – we see this guy, we meet this Fijian guy, and he's sort of this – Joel had this tattoo, and it's like a – it looked like, like there's rip curl waves, you know, like on his <laughs> arm. It just looks so epoxy. Very corny. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, and this guy, Lex – he said, oh, nice tattoo. And Joel's like, no, nah, shit, I hate it. And he might say, oh, I can fix it for you if you like. He said, really? He said, yeah, I'll fix it. He showed us his Facebook page. 
He said, oh, well, I'll get you to fix it and I'll, you know, do it in half like a tribal thing. And anyway, so Joel's like, right, and I said, well, if you do I said, you, if you do it, I'll get – he said, no, if Joel said to me, if you do it, I'll get one, you know. So anyway, we get it. Well, he's such a pussy. He's <laughs> such a pussy. He had to drink a full bottle – I think it was scotch. He drank this full bottle of scotch. So old mate could do the tattoo. It went for, this tattoo went for about eight or nine hours. Oh wow! Yeah, it started at about oh, it started about seven at night. Let's come to the motel room where we're staying in Fiji, and it started. But he's an absolute pussy. Like he cannot handle pain. Oh, so it wasn't a big tattoo that took so long. It's just he just had to stop a lot. Well, it was a big tattoo, but he couldn't sit down for like. And he's got a towel in his mouth, and he's screaming <laughs> like he's he couldn't handle and bled because it, when he because of the alcohol, alcohol yeah, it, they don't like it, it. Thins your blood, yeah. He's bleeding like it was. He was, but the funny the so the funny part was though, the next morning I walk into his room and he's strutting around in front of Belinda in the raw. <laughs> I've opened the door up, and I had my I don't know how, but I had my phone. I got a photo of him. He's trying to hide from me. He's flying through the room like a bat, <laughs> balls and all. <laughs> anyway, I had the best photo of him. Anyway, I had it. was going to hold it again. Like I thought, I'll oh, have it for be days. It. Yeah, because he I, loves having a shot at you. Yeah, he does. Yeah, but I think it's just he's just jealous of me. I believe it. Yeah, I reckon that's all it is. Well, that was that was the perfect story. That was absolutely exactly what I was hoping for. So now we're going to ask a foresight question because this is the foresight super series. I'm I'm calling it super series because this podcast is so good. How did you first become aware of foresight? Well, my mum, for about 30, 35 years, has worked in a vet clinic here in Tamworth. She's the manager there. Um, and she actually brought it home, for brought home the dog stuff for one of our dogs once. We had a, um, an old collie dog, and his name was Barney, and he was pretty crippled up. You know, couldn't walk very well, and he was pretty old and busted. Um, a friend had brought him, and he actually left him here, just, and he retired him here, you know. And mum brought him home, and she said, oh, we'll try this stuff that, you know, the, the main vet there, Peter, that owned the practice. He, it's the only, it's actually the only joint product for animals he's ever endorsed that he ever put on the counter to sell. The rest of it, he said, it's normally just, but he's, you know, he's a pretty, he's a very astute vet. He's very highly regarded in the veterinary world. Um, anyway, and he studied it all and he's, you know, said this stuff's good anyway. So anyway, mum came and brought it home and we started giving it to Albany and, it made a big difference to him. So after, you know, within, I used to notice that you'd walk out in the morning and put your boots on. Before he had it, he could barely get up. Like he'd honestly, it was an effort for him to get up. You know, you knew he was really struggling. So after a week or so of being on foresight, he dead set would jump up and he'd be doing, run around the room there while you're putting your boots on. Like it completely was chalk and cheese. So after that, I was, it didn't take much to sell me on it. So then we, um, started getting it for the horses and stuff like that and it lives at my wash bay um every horse that gets work gets gets five mil of it every day uh two-year-olds get started on it and they love it too you know you've only got to you've only got to take it to the um take it to a paddock you know and they see that they see the syringe and they'll come trotting up for it you know they love it and I've had horses where I definitely uh, made a big difference to my vet bills too you know to where I was spending ridiculous amounts on vet bills um you know there was one year there you know of something like 40 or fifty thousand just in for you know doing joints and all that now i'd be lucky to spend i don't know maybe seven or eight now a year you know um 
a lot of time the vets just tell them, will say to us, just double the dose of your foresight. Try that for a week or two and see how they respond. And a lot of the time they don't, they don't need injecting and stuff like that. So, yeah, it didn't take much to sell me on it, that's for sure. Well, that's perfect. I don't think we could have paid, <laughs> paid for a better endorsement. All right, we're going to fire off some quick questions. So this will be real easy just to wrap us up. What's your favourite drink? Oh, favourite drink uh, would have to be... The uh, salt caramel bunny rum liqueur they sell at the Moonby the Moonby server at the Moonby liquor store. <laughs> so specific. Oh, it's the best. You don't think they they sell it anywhere? They don't. You cannot get it anywhere else. Yeah, for real? Not in Tamworth. You can't get in Tamworth. It's, have you ever been there? I've, I've been to that liquor store, but that, I haven't bought that. Salt caramel bunny rum liqueur on the rocks. It's the okay. Well, I'm gonna like have to try. It's like mother's milk. I'm telling you. <laughs> There you go. All right, what's your favourite food then? Oh, roast lamb. Roast lamb or like a rack of lamb, for sure. Definitely lamb. Well, that would have killed you when you're in the States because you just don't see much lamb, do you? No, not at all. Like That's one thing that, you know, like meat pies, lamb, that sort of stuff that we just don't. But they've got it over there. Like I did yeah. see a lot of sheep too. Yeah. I'm like, where's the lamb? Yep. I, I had no idea. All right, what's a favourite place on earth other than here in Dungowan? What's the what, sir? Your favourite place in the world that you could be other than here at home? Uh, oh, I feel I probably haven't been there yet, but I've been to a lot of beautiful places, but I do like far north Queensland, like that Port Douglas, Atherton. Um, I do, yeah, I love that. I've been to Atherton quite a, a few times now. I love that country up there, but I don't know. I've been to Fiji three times now. It's beautiful. I um, you might say Fiji after I heard the Joel Fleming story. It was definitely more beautiful without him, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but I don't know. That's one thing I do want to do is do quite a lot of traveling that I didn't get to do younger. So I feel like I'll, if I ever get there, I'll, um, I would love to go for 12 months one day, but it's just hard with the horses. But one day I'd like to take 12 months off to go traveling for sure. Okay. What about your favorite movie or TV show? Oh, um, pretty. I used to love John Wayne's, pretty addicted to old John Wayne. Um, we pretty much watched all of them growing up, but uh, recently, um, anything really with Kevin Hart or The Rock in it, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Or the minute I've been watching the series on Netflix called Blind Spot, it's pretty cool. Yep. Um, I watch Blacklist on Blinds oh, on Netflix, and I like. I'm pretty addicted to those sorts of shows. But yeah, watching Blind Spot, the minute's pretty cool. Okay. All right. What about uh, music? Music choice? Is there a genre of music? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely have to be country, I suppose. Like, I like that sort of a, you know, pop country sort of stuff. Like, I'll just appreciate good music, really. I don't really, nothing really. I don't really like old, especially old, old Australian stuff. I admit that stuff doesn't float my boat. Because I put this in, we just did uh, Jim and Linda, yep. Cullum. And do you know what Jim's choice of music is? Do you know Jim, that, that side of him? No. 100% rap. Really? Yes, I know. I would not have picked that. I would have picked Slim. Yeah, 100%. No, and when he said it at the start, I thought he was taking the piss. Yeah, I was backing Slim all the way. Like, I do. Like, I'll listen to Eminem, Ice Cube. Well, that's Danny that's Max. his genre. That's 100% his genre. Yeah, that's right. his choice of music. So, I thought, anyway, there's a little bit of tidbit for you. Next one is very specific to you. Are you a mummy's boy? I don't think I am. Come People on, you. 
I don't think I, I don't. I think put I, that in there. This is these. A lot of these questions are, are going over all the people that we're interviewing for this foresight. That's not going to be in anyone others. That's just for you. Yeah, I, I, people would say that, but I think if they um, spent any time, your mum must love you though. You yeah, do look yeah. after your mum. Do look after. Well, yeah, mum's about all I've got. I'm about my sister and I about all she's got. But um, I don't know. I don't think she'd say I'm a mummy's boy at all. Um, you know, we could go days and weeks here sometimes without she's busy working, without talking, or it might be a text. You know, we might text about stuff because she goes to work, I go to work, and we might we might go a few days without seeing each other. But um, definitely, I couldn't do. You know, I couldn't. I wouldn't be where I am without her support for sure. Um, you know, yeah, we, we probably still wouldn't have this place if she. You know, she went through a period there where she was working a couple of jobs to try and keep it when when Dad left and stuff. So I guess, you know, we are always going to be pretty close for my mum and I and my sister and I are very close, you know. So um, I don't know if she'd call me a mummy's boy. Like I think she'd probably sometimes say he's the, he's the furthest thing from a mummy's boy. <laughs> oh, oh, I thought you would have been. You already mentioned mum's milk on this podcast, so I was thought yeah. it would be a good segue. But I did also want to enlighten people because – you know, I know a little bit about your history and I just think that, you know, you talked about it just then, you know, that it was it was a bit of a rough period and, and holding on to this place that you sort of had to get mature real quick. Yeah, and, it was either. And I just wonder, and, and I don't actually really know your mum at all personally, but I would think that you'd have to be very proud of you and what you've been able to not only achieve but then do for the family. And you already said it without even realising it when you were talking about, well, if you couldn't, work what's an, another stream of revenue so you're looking at business stuff yeah you, that was the to me you said that looking after your mum and your sister yeah yeah well absolutely yeah well mum for sure i mean she's nearly mum's nearly 70 now and i mean she still works like well, what time is it now she's not home quarter past nine quarter past nine she's still not home um and she'll be um she's probably not even close um and she's worked like that forever but um yeah, definitely. You know, when Dad left and then we had to pay him out, we're a nearly, nearly in $2 million worth of debt, you know, and I'm all of 19 or something and 7% interest rates and stuff like that at the time, 7 8%, you know, we were, and I'm here I am trying to get started and run a business and, I mean, horse prices weren't what they are then, what they are now. Um, so, yeah, it was hard. She was working two jobs and I'm trying to sell horses for $5,000 each and, you know, it was... Tough it times. wasn't easy, you know what I mean? And, and I mean, and the place wasn't what it was either. So in the meantime, I've had to try to develop it and get it going. Like there was, like I said, there was, we were just tape yards and, you know, the more, some mornings you'd wake up and there'd be 20 horses run down the road because they busted through electric tape and, you know, and you, yeah, like it was definitely, you know, but it was, we had to really sit down and think about whether we were going to try to keep it or not. But, you know, mum said if we sell, we'll never get another one. You know, and the bank were, they were pretty heavy on us. They'd review us every 12 months, you know. Um, they'd be like, well, right, we'll give you 12 months and see how you go. <coughs> so there's a lot of pressure, you know what I mean? Um, we're good now, but, um, you know, in a great position now. But, I mean, we've still got plenty of debt. We've paid off, we've paid off quite a lot too. But, um. Yeah, it was definitely a lot of pressure on mum and I and, um, you know, my sister, she was she was flat out working and putting herself through uni and we, um, you know, so we had, you know, we bought her a car and we're trying to help her through, you know, but she was, she stood on her own two feet pretty well, don't she's She's a workaholic too, but, um, 
yeah, I guess it brought us all pretty close together. But yeah, without mum, we probably yeah we wouldn't still be here. That's for sure. She she um she knuckled down and knew that if we if we had to give if we sold this place, we wouldn't have you know um wouldn't have got another one. So great foresight on her behalf. Little segue to foresight then. Mm. <laughs> That's very punny. Um, again, keeping it short, we're going to ask you what irritates you. Uh, what irritates me? Um, oh, people that ask dumb, like dumb questions. Or like, <laughs> it might have been me. <laughs> um, people that don't think for themselves, like people that are like um, fake people. I don't. I guess I'm a little bit less tolerant to fake people. Um, but yeah, things that irritate me a bit. I like. I'm pretty particular about how I like things done. Um, so yeah, I like routine. Um, if things aren't done like that, I get pretty irritated. But yeah, I have a pretty low tolerance for for idiots. That's for sure. <laughs> that's a good one. What about favorite saying? Is there a saying that Sticks to you, maybe some, a mentor or something you say all the time. Is there a favourite saying? Um, no, not not really. Um, I, I guess the one that has stuck with me is if that's the worst thing that happens to that, it's not going to be a bad day. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> that one has stuck with me um, plenty. You know, when things are going, when things are that are bad, something bad happens. I think, so if that's the worst thing that happens, you know, it won't be a bad day. You know, it could be worse. Well, it's a good good segue into talking about actually Dan James's mum again because she helped me out. Like, it must be something like, you know, you're young and you're ambitious and you just, like, everything just seems to affect you. And we were, we were supposed to... um go to the Gold Coast for a show and we had to do a media thing and it, and then Dan and I, and we were staying with his parents. And the old, talking about old trucks, the truck that I had at the time, the tail gate, like it was like a short one, like it was a cattle truck slash horse truck and it was it was narrow and steep. So we used to sort of like back it into a bit of a, a hole and try to level it out. A lot of these horses and we, got, we get stuck because I backed it into a spot that we wanted to put it in, now we can't get traction and we're essentially bogged. And so I, I'm, I, we've got a deadline to get from where we were travelling to where we needed to be, and now it's upsetting that. And so I'm starting to feel the heat. And again, like it wouldn't worry me now, but back then I was swearing and cursing and getting upset and firing up. And so was Dan, and we had to take the horses off again, and then we had to try to find a way to pull this truck out. And anyway, Dan James's mum's like. Trying to calm us down and be like, it's okay, and we're gonna like we're gonna miss this thing that we're supposed to be at, right? And she's like, you don't know if this is on purpose that you need to be restricted. Like she's like, the powers to be have held you here because if you would have actually left on time, you might have been on the highway and got caught up in an accident, and you know might have destroyed you, destroyed the truck, whatever. Like we yeah. might we not might not be here to tell the story. Yeah. So somebody's come in here purposely, you know, whether it's you believe in God or whatever, has made sure that you guys stay put for just X amount of time so that you don't run into that trouble. And it sort of like clicked with me at the time. I thought, well, how can I argue with that? Mm. So it took us, you know, and like again, it goes back to your saying, if that's the worst thing that happens to you today, 
you're going all right because it really wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. We pulled the truck out, we loaded them back up, we got on the road. Yeah. We probably lost an hour, an hour and a half. Definitely nothing like your Cloncurry trip. No, you don't want to have one of them again. So, so when she sort of did that, it probably helped me for things that have happened in, since then and go, well, you know what, maybe that Cloncurry trip, you guys just needed mm-hmm. to be delayed. Well, that probably did me a lot. Of, it's done me a lot of good. It was a character building, I can tell you. <laughs> It was resiliency, right? Yeah, I think I no, yeah. there's not not too much now that really, yeah, not too much now that really sets me off. I believe things happen for a reason too. You know, I guess the only human error is probably the things that annoy me. But like, if it's all, um, you know, but I also control. say to the guys too, say that say the guys that work for me, I don't really blow up to because most of the things that they do, I've done, especially when I was younger or whatever, rushing around trying to do things in a hurry, um. Are mostly things that I've done, so I don't blow up. But if that happens more than once, yeah, two or three right. times, that's when I'll start to get cranky. But most of the time, I'm like, well, hell, I've done that before, so I can't really be too mad at them. You're allowed to, everyone's allowed to a mistake once or twice, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Hugh. Thanks for giving us your time. That was an excellent insight, I think, into a little bit of the life and the day of the life of Hugh Miles. So we appreciate your time and thanks for being another Foresight team member to join us on the podcast. No, appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Please help us out by commenting with a review as well as rating and sharing on your socials. This helps us out greatly and we really appreciate your support. Hopefully in 2023, we'll bring you more content than ever before. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye. If you like my daddy's podcast, please write, review, and subscribe. Share this podcast with your friends.